deep in London's beating heart lies a wall. I'd like to it be if you know the call. For if the wall steps aside, be not afraid of what you see. Cause the wizard world has opened up as has the Griffins. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Shrieking Shack. This is a Harry Potter reread podcast for lapsed fans. I am your host, ZC. And I'm Liz. And Liz? <laughs> I'm cracking a cold one. What you got? I've got a, a, a regular Coke of Cola. Just a regular classic red Coke of Cola? Just a reg, just just the, the, the old standby, the Coke of Cola classic. We are not sponsored. Now you have to say something mean about Coke of Cola. Um, there are... They're a horrible company, and honestly, um, the stuff that comes in the can tastes like dog shit, and I wish I'd gotten something in the glass bottle, because that tastes good. Pure evil, loathsome, loathsome uh, company. I would not not shed a single tear uh, if they disappeared tomorrow, but I gotta say, I do like a soda pop. Now we're gonna be sued for slander, so you have to say something nice about them. Um, fuck. I really like... (laughs) I really like the the new flavor that you can get of the one that comes in the glass bottle. That's like a uh, uh, raspberry. There's like the there's like the California raspberry and Georgia peach ones you can get. Mm-hmm. Those I, are pretty good. That that was wonderful. I think we really captured kind of the cl- complexity of the human condition right now. Ah, <laughs> uh, we have we have yes we have uh, we have described the the the. The just the the modern horrors of living under capitalism is I hate Coca Cola, but I kind of like it. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, very complex. So it goes. Um, but yeah, how are you doing? What are you drinking? Um, well, no, I don't want to say that I'm drinking a Coca Cola orange vanilla. <laughs> zero. I caught you. you <laughs> I caught you in the damn act. I'm drinking orange beer this morning. Oh god, we've got to we've got to start. I don't know. Let's let's get uh, let's get a blue sky sponsorship or something. What are mm. one of those? Oh, I like the uh, maybe the cherry vanilla flavor. That's a good one. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, I could go with Spindrift. If Spindrift is listening. Hey, I wouldn't mind a case of those. Those are pretty good. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they're owned by some horrible company that like. Yeah, it's steals. probably Coca Cola. <laughs> it's probably Coca Cola. <laughs> yeah, they own like half of the beverages in the world so it's either that or anheuser-busch you can't really escape it uh uh one one of two horrible companies owns every beverage you drink uh-huh uh, so so that's uh that's great that's 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 just a wonderful world we live in um but how, how are you holding up i would like a um in our bonus episode and maybe this will convince some some people who are on the fence to to go back and listen to this week's bonus um we had a we we have a little saga going on how is the ant on your desk doing yeah so i'll do a little recap uh last time on on distressed ant on my desk um there's an i think what is an odorous house ant um and it had a little bit of dust um but we don't know that it smells bad well, I don't think it does until you kill it. I don't want to talk. Right. I don't want to talk about ant biology right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it had a little bit of dust stuck to its butt. The dust was stuck to its leg. It was rolling around in a ball trying to get it off. Um, I did. You, I did do a procedure with the the end of a pen, um, and I did not manage to remove the dust particulate from its butt. I did manage to dislodge it from its leg. 
it kind of freaked out a little bit, ran around really fast, but it appears to have accepted its condition, is now crawling on the wall with a long kind of strand of dust um, off mm. of its butt, uh, like a tail. I support it. I hope it, I hope it dislodges that. I am, pro, I am pro bug, just not on my desk, you know? Um, yeah. I don't, like, I don't the, like killing bugs. The apartment that I've in has, has had a lot of issues with ants, tree ants, carpenter ants, things like that. I would probably be highly distressed if I were not moving soon. Yeah, you're moving. It's very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but, uh, you know, who else is moving soon? Hmm. One JK Rowling. Really? Well, actually, I don't know if she's moving, but uh, according to the BBC, she has purchased her childhood home. Yeah, the thing about that is that when you're JK Rowling, (laughs) buying a house does not necessarily mean mean you're moving. No, she has probably bought it in the same way that, like, I would buy a cool action figure that I remembered from my childhood. Right. Like, if I walked into the store and saw the, like... um, Do you remember the, like, line of Star Wars toys that came out, um, like, pre-episode one... Um, kind of around the time that the special editions were coming out, where for some reason all the characters were incredibly ripped. Um, I may have seen them, but not know just because of the sheer quantity of Star Wars toys there are. You okay? So I have I have a Star Wars toys story here, mm. and and this is me relating to J.K. Rowling purchasing her childhood home. When I was a kid, my favorite toy, when I, li- I lived in England, um, and my favorite toy was uh, one of those, like, Fisher-Price cars that you, like, sat in and pedaled. Oh, sure. Um, fucking whipped ass. I was driving yeah. that thing. W- just absolutely ruled. Um, when it turned out that we were moving to the United States, I was very sad, um, and we had to get rid of the car. Uh because we could not take that obviously and so as a replacement i got like a bunch of star wars action figures and and one of them was a really cool darth vader action figure where you could clip his cape on Mm -hmm. um i and it was it was badass and i loved it and then i lost it and i've always felt sad so you know if i ever saw that darth vader again because i had like a clear plastic lightsaber had a detachable cape he had stupid, he looked really stupid if you took the cape off because he had like huge G.I. Joe muscles, but yeah. otherwise it was cool. Um, I would I would maybe buy that if I saw it again. How did he, I thought he has robot arms. Hmm. Does, yeah. Doesn't he? Yeah. He has robot yeah, arms th- and legs. I'll send you some pictures of this, this line of action figures later. They were very funny looking. I'm sure maybe I would not buy it again if I saw maybe I would buy a cooler Darth Vader action figure if I if I had, you know, Darth Vader buying money at this point. Do you remember when eBay first became a thing? Oh yeah. And and for some reason the thing that most people thought they could do with it is go find lost items from their childhood and then purchase yeah. them or or sell them for insanely high prices like oh i've had i've got a box of baseball cards up in the attic those must be worth something on ebay and it turns out that they're worth like a penny right um that i feel like that happened a lot. i think i bought actually also when i was a kid later I bought like a bunch of Neopets toys off of eBay. Uh, 
that was like my one big, you know, I had to get like, get permission from my parents and get their, get their credit card info. And it's like, I got a, I got a lot of 30 Neopets Burger King toys or whatever. That's a, that's a great score. I've got maybe they might still be in the garage. So I don't know. I might have to check this. Yeah, I might have to I might have to fact find it. I know I also I went to limited two and got the like plushies one time. Yeah, I think I got the white Kugra from limited two. Um, but I had I, I yeah, I had the blue Aisha and the regular Chia. The like the like orb with hair. You might be thinking of Jub Jub. No, I'm thinking, no, God, it was Chia, because it was like a potato. Like, that is like also, a... they're both kind of blobs. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I, it was one of those, um, but uh, I, I don't think I will ever reach a point where I, when I have enough money to throw around to buy my childhood home. Um, but uh, hey, good, good on Joe, I guess, just collecting, collecting what's important to her. What's she going to do with it? It's apparently being renovated, uh, so I don't know. I think the funniest detail in this is so this is a this is a report from BBC News, and the headline is J.K. Rowling secretly buys childhood home. Secretly, secretly, and so it says the author lived there between the ages of nine and eighteen, and in twenty eleven, bought the cottage through a property uh, for through a property company in her married name. Uh, she paid about four hundred thousand pounds for the house, uh, which is said to have inspired key elements of the Young Wizard story. Uh, uh, land registry shows that in September twenty eleven. So I, she actually bought this a while back, I guess. Uh, I, I I don't know why they're reporting on this now, except for this detail here. Uh, Edinburgh based. Um, uh, so what? Fucking, I can't read. I'm sorry, I can't read Irish, Scottish stuff. I'm so dumb. Um, I'm just gonna skip over that. Uh, lists the author's husband, uh, the author's husband Neil Murray, as a director, bought Church Cottage. So she she set up a shell company to buy this house. Um, hmm. The property was sold by BBC producer Julian Mercer, who himself <laughs> bought it off of the Rolling Family in 1995. So. The BBC had the inside scoop on this secret childhood home buying from Julian Mercer, who is also a BBC producer. We are absolutely going to get the return of J.K. Rowling's um, uh, uh, the rubbish bin section, where she where she bitches about uh, how journalists report that her house has more rooms in it than it really does. I guess. I'm confused about what the secret part is. I don't really know how it works in the UK, but I assume that all of that stuff is just public record. You can't just buy a house secretly. Well, it, it, it sounds like, she, yeah, it's weird. I don't understand why the story came out now, because the story was published yesterday, 14th of April, 2020. She apparently bought it in 2011. You can't really say slow news day right now <laughs> yeah but also it's the part on the other end of it i don't understand why she set up a shell company to buy it i mean i think a lot of the time you you make a company to do all of your real estate purchasing through is is this a, is this just a rich common. person is yeah. this just a rich person thing oh, okay yeah. so 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 I, once again i am i am i am just agog at what it is like to be rich um but uh I'm just, uh, why now? Why is this story such a big deal now? 
Slow news day? Slow news day. No? That thing that we all know and love here in 2020. <laughs> yeah, so that that's that's our first bit of news. Um but moving on, we we need to check in on uh Hogwarts at Home. Uh, uh the 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 wonderful uh, initiative by Scholastic Hold on, let me make sure I've got it right here. Scholastic, Bloomsbury and Warner Brothers mm. have teamed up to bring us uh, entertainment while we are all stuck in quarantine. Um, they posted that lovely video on how to make Harry Potter gift bags. Um, that was entertaining. They just really haven't surpassed the the Niffler drawing for me. Also, no. I would like to say that it absolutely made my night uh, when everyone sent in their Niffler drawings. So thank oh, you to everyone that did that. Thank you, everyone. Yes, those were- They're all lovely. Th- those were beautiful. Thank you, everyone, for your Nifflers. Um, they have since published a couple of things. Uh, there was one link that took you to a Scholastic website from what looked to be 2005, charitably, (laughs) uh, with an old, like, what's your wizard name thing. And all it did was like, it clearly had a database of like every first and last name from the series. And then it would ask you, are you a boy or a girl? And then it would just assign you a name based on the first letter of the your actual name that you put in. Uh, very lazy. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, they have um, they have offered up a couple of articles. One, how to have the ultimate cozy experience reading Harry Potter, um, and then uh, learn some friendship lessons and discover your Hogwarts best friend with Bloomsbury. This is the part where it gets really gross is that that this is this thing is supposed to be, you know, like this will keep your kids entertained while you're stuck home or whatever. And it's all just like here is Bloomsbury and Scholastic and Warner Brothers Entertainment uh, uh, providing you with all your stuff. Um, They do have one thing here that is really sticking out to me that I think is very funny, which is. Try out our new Harry Potter themed video call backgrounds. Oh. So if you're if you're at home and you've got a green screen, they have provided uh let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, six of the highest quality JPEGs from the <laughs> movies for you to put behind you. Would you like uh Hogwarts the Castle behind you? Would you like well, okay, well, here's one. We've got the potions class. You could put the potions class behind you. That's what I would choose. That's what you would choose. Is uh, Snape there in the background? No. That seems like an oversight. That's definitely an oversight. I mean, you could you could just put whatever you want behind you in a video call, really. You could you could put uh you could just put Snape, just a big picture of Snape's head behind you. I you might wanted. consider it. Um <laughs> But yeah, so so I feel like they are I, I know I said this last week, but I think it's even more true this week. I think they are rapidly approaching just not having any ideas for what to put on this thing. That's too bad. It's too bad. I can't wait. But on the other hand, I think that's a good thing because I, I want to see I want to see what, what, what this website looks like when they don't know what to put on it. Like, like once they've burned through all the like make a scrapbook, make a um, make a zoom background or whatever. It's like, what else have we got? What if uh, I want to see the real shit, you know, Uh, maybe they'll start weighing in on um, the Myers-Briggs personality profiles of the various characters. Oh, 
I would love that so much. I would love that. I, that's what I want. I want this to escalate into some sort of shadow war between MuggleNet and the official Harry Potter website. Yeah. I, mean, I guess that's kind of already happened, but that's not, that would not be unprecedented. Uh, as we will find out later in this episode, uh, the official, the official Harry Potter uh, 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 companies have been, have been in combat with the with the fan communities uh, uh, uh more than once speaking of combat i hear i hear your deep sigh i'm getting I know, ready i know that you're just you're you're psyching yourself up you're getting ready <laughs> for what's what what we have to do now how about we get to our reading for this week this is a big moment for us mm mhm I don't know why this feels like such a milestone. I mean, I guess I do know why. Yeah. But it's a big one. It is a big one. Um, this week we read chapter 27, and it is called The Lightning Struck Tower. This mm. is going to be another tough one for me, I think. Um, but I'm <laughs> going to do my be best. This shortest summary ever. You know, honestly. I'm looking at my notes, and they're long, though. Mm. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. Well, uh, let's let's see how it goes. Um, Harry successfully apparates um, himself and Dumbledore to Hogsmeade, uh, but Dumbledore's not looking looking great after um, drinking drinking that horrible juice. Um, he tries to get Dumbledore uh, back to the castle to go meet up with Madame Pomfrey, but Dumbledore says, "No, no, I need Snape." Um, and Harry doesn't know what to do, but luckily Madame Rose Murda kind of runs up and says, "Like, oh my gosh, what are you doing out here?" Um, check it out and like she points behind them and they're like oh shit because there's the dark mark above the astronomy tower um at hogwarts so they need to get there fast uh rosmerta mentions that she has a couple of brooms uh in her bar and so harry um summons those uh dumbledore tells him to put his cloak on and they fly up to the astronomy tower um on their way harry's mind is racing I hope no one's been killed because I mobilized the Dumbledore's army. Um, and maybe that would be my fault if someone died. Uh, once they get to the astronomy tower, um, you know, Harry's invisible um, because Dumbledore told him to get in the cloak. Um, Dumbledore tells him to go find Snape. But just at that moment, um, someone arrives and Expelliarmus is Dumbledore right at the same moment that Dumbledore petrifies Harry so that he can't emerge from under the cloak. So Harry's stuck. He's petrified. He's invisible. He can't do anything. Um, and it's Malfoy, and he's holding a wand to Dumbledore. And Dumbledore basically has just, like, a really, really long conversation with him um, and kind of tries to be like, you know, you're not a killer, um, you know, and and I knew, knew you were behind this the whole time. Uh, I know you're not a killer because you uh, clearly acting erratically. You've made two attempts on my life, the lock or not the locket, the necklace um, and uh, the poison. Um, uh, but it's not going to work. Harry also hears some some fighting downstairs. Um, Dumbledore kind of accuses Draco of being scared to, to kill him because he's waiting um waiting for the, the other Death Eaters to get there. Um, Draco can, cannot um, not tell how he, how he smuggled the Death Eaters into the, the castle, which is that he repaired the vanishing cabinet, and Dumbledore is kind of like, oh, that, that was smart. That was, that was a good one. Um, and then uh, we also find out that uh, Malfoy had Rosmerda under the Imperious Curse this whole time. Um, he set off the 
uh, dark mark above the astronomy tower as kind of like a uh, to lure lure them up there um, because Draco knew that Dumbledore had left the castle because he was controlling Rosmerta and they were also communicating um, with like the enchanted coins um, because he got the idea from Dumbledore's army in year five. Um, Draco says that someone is dead. Um, that one of Dumbledore's people, one of the Order of the Phoenix, was killed by a Death Eater, and Harry worries about that. It's like, oh my god, who could it be? Um, Dumbledore says he knew Draco was behind it the whole time. Draco's kind of like, no, like, how, why didn't you do anything about it, though? And Dumbledore says, well, I've had Snape trying to, f- trying to talk to you this whole year, trying to figure it out, but I couldn't confront you, because if Voldemort knew that I knew that you were trying to kill me, then he would have killed you and your family. Um, Dumbledore also offers to save Draco and his family so that I can protect you more than anyone else can. Draco kind of refuses, uh, but it's at that moment that some Death Eaters arrive. It's Alecto, Amicus, I think they're, they're both Caros, maybe, um, and Fenrir Greyback, who is there too. And they kind of go Draco and are like, come on, do it. You, you know, you should kill Dumbledore. Fenrir does a little bit of taunting. He's a real sicko. Um, but Draco just can't do it. He's, he's shaking. He's he's freaked out. Um, but at that moment, Snape arrives. Um, Amicus is pretty friendly toward him. And is like, we got we got a problem. Draco's not going to kill this guy. Dumbledore says, Snape, please. And Snape hits him with the killing curse. And he falls off the tower dead. <laughs> that scared the shit out of me. <laughs> Just like that. Uh, boy, the reason this feels like such a big deal is that I feel like we've, we both obviously have read these books before. We knew it was coming, but it still feels like we've almost been dancing around this twist, right? Uh-huh. Or, or not really twist, development or whatever, because, because we've been so, we've been trying to figure out one, what is Dumbledore's character in this book? Uh-huh. Um, and two... Like what? What do we want Dumbledore's character to be in this book? Which has has been ranged from I wish that he was a zombie to I wish <laughs> that he was the bad guy to like we we have constructed such a like I don't know like like a complex web of like wishes around Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. Kind of I feel maybe maybe forget like I certainly did not I was not like grappling with like the reality of like oh right he dies in this chapter until I got here um and and getting here I don't know like it feels big it feels like a a major part of our like uh uh discussion on this podcast has reached a conclusion yeah Dumbledore's dead Snape killed Dumbledore Snape killed Dumbledore it's a weird one <laughs> god damn it <laughs> Just blew Dumbledore away. He bee hopped around that corner, and he just one tapped Dumbledore and knocked him <laughs> off the edge. Um. So I think this chapter sucks. It's bad. Yeah. Um. It's I. I'm trying to square something in my head, and I think that I'm going to relate it back a little bit to when we were talking about our problem with this book, and the idea that we like a lot of fiction that doesn't necessarily like align with our like our personal value system right yeah yeah um i'm i want to know what the disconnect is for me because when i read this the first time i think that i was like sobbing right i i'm trying to figure out how old i would have been mm-hmm. uh, when this book came out what year did half footprints come out it was 2006 i think okay so i was 
like 16. And this was like so sad. Saddest thing that's ever happened to me. And I felt nothing reading this this time. <laughs> Some of that is just closer read. Yeah. For sure. But it is so emotionally unaffecting. Um, and we've read other books um, for this podcast um, and our, uh, like, like a lot of Patreon-only stuff that, like, I guess the big one that I think of is The Fault in Their Stars. Mm-hmm. I did not like that book. We read it really closely, and I still, like, teared up at a couple places because yeah. that is what that book was trying to do. And there were just, like, these moments of kind of brilliance in it or, like, really human moments. I thought the book was bad. I think it had, like, a shitty message. All of this stuff. But I still, like, it managed to, like, get this emotional thing for me. And mm-hmm. this, not like, it didn't do it. <laughs> and I want to know why. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's a really good comparison to draw. I was about to say something similar about reading, um, oh, God, what was it? The other, John, uh, Looking for Alaska, mm-hmm. which I think was a bad book. Uh, is a bad book and and not only that i think one that i was like thoroughly repulsed by <laughs> in the very end right yeah like, it's pretty the, disgusting the, the the takeaway from uh, uh looking for alaska is uh pretty foul but that being said it still managed to like it, there were still enough gestures towards like real human moments to to get me right and like i i still and i and i th- i think that this is I, i'm forming my um my thesis on this this is this is still percolating this is still kind of raw off the dome bullshitting here mm-hmm. but i think that like just liking a character or not even liking you just finding a character interesting goes such a long way for fiction and like in Looking for Alaska and the Fall of Star, and like nearly every, hell, even even um, uh, Beck Beethoven in that in that Paper Fury book we read. <laughs> uh huh. There's like a certain level of like I don't like this, but I do l- like I want better for this character, right? Yeah. I think that but just like all the way through Order of the Phoenix and Half Blood Prince, Dumbledore transformed from a character who i enjoyed reading whenever he appeared mm-hmm. like like in 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 philosopher's stone obviously he's just really fun and whimsical in chamber of secrets he doesn't appear that much i don't think but like again he's just like whenever he's on he's whenever he's around he's just delightful right yeah and he just sort of like occupied that space for the first four books and i think even in four it struck an interesting balance where there's that that moment that i still always remember which is you know which is the scene that everyone makes fun of the way the movie um uh, uh, uh transcribes which is the uh did you put your name in the gobble of fire and i i believe the line is something like it would have been worse if he had screamed yeah or, or like it, 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 it couldn't have been worse if he had screamed like right like like just that that paints such a crystal clear picture of like being a teenager and realizing you're, you've disappointed someone who is looking out for you right yeah like there, I can pull really human moments out of this character, even 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 when he was more of just like a two dimensional, uh, uh, goofy wizard, right? Like, right. Like, he he he's still someone I cared about. In Order of the Phoenix, 
and Half-Blood Prince, he is mostly just, like, frustrated me because he gets to have the more interesting story off like out outside of the book you know mm-hmm. like this was your this was your huge thesis for um for book five which was that like like it should have been a spy novel from his pov yeah and maybe i would have cared about his death if that had been the case right but because he is just such a like confusing mishmash of different character tropes at this point but also we have not spent enough time with him for any of these moments to mean anything, him dying to me is just kind of like a relief almost. <laughs> like, thank God I don't have to have him exposit at Harry about something way more interesting that happened that we weren't privy to. I, I mean, I think that this chapter is so damning to Harry as a main character. This is the big this is the big moment. I mean, we talked about this a little bit because the the cave thing was as well, and it was the culmination of Dumbledore's storyline that we didn't get to see. And in this one, it is just this admission that Harry didn't do anything. <laughs> if he did anything this entire book, he figured out that Draco was up to something. That's it. That yeah. is all. And in the climax of the book in this huge moment where it's all laid out and it's and it again goes through those motions of like here here now all the clues make sense here's what was going on this whole time not only were there no clues it was Dumbledore's story again and Harry is in the scene because we need to look through his eyes and Mm -hmm. he cannot interact with the scene (laughs) this might as well be like a pensive memory he is frozen and invisible this is kidding me (laughs) this is this is every every like intro to a first person shooter where the villain like kidnaps you or whatever and then like (laughs) like has makes the inciting incident happen in front of you and like taunts you like to your face or whatever and then you get your controls back and it says you know press w to move forward (laughs) like like it it is so infuriating though because it's at the end of a story and not the beginning so it's it's like like you say it is this admission that like harry has no agency in this story and i think we've you know we, we we've we've this is a criticism we've had about Harry many times, but I think here it just really, truly shows that, like, it is not that he has no agency and that's his character. Like, that would be one thing. Yeah, that's this isn't a... a story about having no agency. Exactly. This isn't yeah. a story of being out of control. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it is a story about, like, being a, being the detective in a mystery novel, but just conveniently getting... Uh, uh, control taken away from you when the character that the author likes more has to do something. I mean, he's invisible. Like, it's not, it is not even Draco say, like, him being seen and Draco saying, like, don't move, I'll kill Dumbledore, I'll shoot if you move. Right. Then at least he's there. He's not there. There. Be, there would be, there would be at least a scrap of tension if that was the case. If it if this was some sort of like spaghetti western standoff between the three of them or something, mm-hmm. like do anything to to make the main character experience peril, right? Like, like I guess I guess like the one angle you can look at this from broadly is like, well, it sure is sad that Harry has to watch his like his mentor get blasted, um, and he can't do anything about it. 
but like that is a i feel like that is a, a narrative trope that only works like if he is being restrained by like not that character <laughs> <laughs> if he was being held back by Death Eaters and forced to watch Dumbledore get one tapped, that would be fine. That's not a hard change to make. Like, no. have Bellatrix be there and be like, hey, 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 like, watch your mentor be killed. Exactly. Like, whatever. I don't... That's, <laughs> it's not that, is that hard. How many times? That happens maybe once a chapter in Game of Thrones to somebody. Yeah. Like, like that's fine. That's cool, dude. That's a good way to set up a villain or whatever. Yeah, you um, can do like the dramatic zoom in on Cub Simba's Mufasa's falling. No, <laughs> exactly. you know, like it's yeah. it's not that hard. Yeah. <laughs> but but it is instead it is just rem- it, it is not even subtextually removing <laughs> Harry from the story. He is invisible <laughs> and cannot move. <laughs> it's amazing. It's crazy, and and like, we like we've talked about like that you know it's possible to write a story. Not even possible. It is it is, uh, uh, cool to write stories about having no control or having no agency or whatever. But I feel like you can't you cannot treat this 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 uh uh book this chapter like that movie ghost story about the guy who's like wearing the sheet and just like watching what happened after he died. Right. And he can't talk to any of his family or anything. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not that it's, it's just like Harry is an inconvenience for the, for the planned story beat here. So he has to be removed. It feels so clinical. Uh, and uh, I, I really wonder why, why it had to be set up this way. I will be very curious if at any point in book seven, or even in the last few chapters of this book, if Harry has um, any sort of like um, internal reflection about like, oh, all I could do was just stand there. I couldn't move. I had to watch it happen. Like, is this going to have any consequences to his character at all? Yeah. I mean, like that's, I think that's the one way this can be salvaged in like, like if, if this, is some sort of like resonant emotional scar or whatever in the same way that the, this plot beat plays out in every other story. That's something at least, but also every other story that has done, has walked that path made the inciting incident interesting with the character in it being like restrained by other characters right or yeah this isn't the beginning of the story this is the climax of like a freaking thousand page book (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah no it's it is um it it is a real bummer and i think i think it really is the like the silver bullet and like I, i like this is an argument i think that plays out in the fandom a lot which is like you know even among yeah, uh, people who really like Harry Potter, I think the like, is Harry a good character is kind of a, co- a, a, a conversation that comes up all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that this really just puts a bullet in the idea that he like is important to his own novel series here because he, he really, he is a camera in this scene. Um, yeah. And, and that is, that's a bad place for your main character to be. Uh, I, I'm, yeah, I, I, I think just like, you know, just while we're still speaking about like this, you know, the effect of this twist and stuff broadly, it's just, it's just so weird to see how little, um, 
impact Harry has or even feels. And the fact that he is being like this, this, this contrived thing where he's like, oh, Expelliarmus happened, but I'm not getting Expelliarmus. Oh, uh, Dumbledore must have done the spell to me. He must have petrified me is so lacking in any it it, it is just explaining a game mechanic to you i had to read it like two times because the way it is presented is like i'm frozen but dumbledore got expelliarmus so he that must have worked because he was casting the spell at the same time that he instead could have attacked (laughs) draco and i'm just like wait what yeah, we is that learn how a, this works. We learn. We sure learn a lot about how magic works in this chapter. Shall we? Shall we? Shall we? Kind of step back a bit and and start at the beginning here with this Hogsmeade scene. Sure, I think it's stupid that Harry just knows how to apparate. Yeah, yeah. I think the one thing the one thing that saves it, I guess, is like the oh, he's he's now he's he's finally learned to concentrate or whatever. I'll accept Why? that. I'll accept that lampshade. <laughs> yeah, why? Why is the real <laughs> question here? But like, just just on like the the order of magnitude of weird decisions that this this whole climax has made in the past few chapters, I'm I'll I'll accept that one. Harry's if, arc in this book is learning how to apparate. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm so pissed. It's so stupid. Yeah. No. It's it's valid that we're. I feel like these last, like uh, the last two episodes and this one, I feel like this is going to be our going off trilogy. Because mm-hmm. I think I think that these have escalated. They, like th- these chapters have just escalated in such a stupid way, and have have like kind of confirmed or at least like uh, 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 shown a spotlight on all of the things we have been worried about or like. Da- like talking about but not experiencing at that moment right in terms of like the way that the characterization and world building ha- works in this series um, i think that there was like a part of me that really thought evil dumbledore was gonna be real <laughs> you were like psyching I- like maybe we had mandela affected ourselves and actually it, it is a really cool reveal that dumbledore is the is the master evil mastermind <laughs> yeah yeah no that didn't happen um instead we get harry like i said he learns to apparate. That's his bit. He 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 learns a new move. Yeah. And um I I yeah, it's like on the one hand I buy it, I I I accept the lampshade of like oh he just had to tr- he he it's really important. He did it under pressure, but I would have at least ex- uh, uh hoped for like oops, he splinched some of his hair off or something or like apparated into someone's house. Whoopsie daisy, like something. Just make get, Make it something not. Can you imagine if this had been set up at all? Like even even the other even the other kids got to go and take the test, and Ron failed it, and Hermione passed it. Harry didn't even get to go take it because he was too young. It's not as if he went yeah. and took the test. We didn't have a scene of like, oh darn it, I failed the test just barely because I was because I was too distracted, or I couldn't concentrate, or I didn't think it was important. But in this moment. You know, he thought it was important enough and and pulled it off. Yeah. Nope. That would have been an arc. That would have been something. Yeah. Anyway, he can just do that now. He can just do that now. He's added that to his spell, his spells. Uh, um, uh, and uh, now I want to talk about R- Rosmerta. Because yep. we have seen the damn Imperius curse before. Awooga. Awooga. <laughs> yes, Awooga. Radim Rosmerta's here. Uh-huh. I want to talk about that if you know what I mean. Wink, wink. But uh, but no, she's here, and 
this is not we we've seen someone under the imperious curse right it's like erratic you it it's not something you can do for like long periods of time without people noticing i thought but apparently uh, maybe, maybe maybe draco um really figured it out and was like act normal <laughs> oh i just command them to act normal and that stays on the top of the stack. That's good. I cannot think of a single instance where we've seen someone under the Imperious Curse other than Crouch Senior, who yeah. was under it for years, right? Yeah, and he and it was Crouch Senior, and what wasn't his behavior like super fucking erratic or whatever under that? Or? I mean, I think that he acted pretty normal because we met him at the Quidditch World Cup and some other places where mm. Harry was like, oh, he's just like Uncle Vernon. But I think that the spell started to fail, which is where we got um, the scene outside of the Forbidden Forest. Yeah. I'm not disagreeing. Thing, I just don't think we know. Because that's doesn't. the one that sticks in my mind is the scene outside the Forbidden Forest, right? Where it's like it. it and, and oh, and also when um, uh, uh, Crumb attacks Cedric in the maze right and his like eyes were all scary oh yeah so just like like every other spell it just kind of acts the way the plot needs it to (laughs) it's what is what we're what we're saying here yeah um that's gonna be a running theme in this chapter um but yeah so so i i think that that was one of the the weirdest like uh um gotchas in this chapter i guess was the like oh she was under the imperious curse whole time where it's like i I get like thinking back on all the times Rosmerda appeared in this book, I guess she was there and it lines up with the clues that we were told, which was one, only a girl would go into the girl's bathroom. This has been a book where Crab and Goyle were polyjuiced <laughs> to be girls like many, many, many times. Mm-hmm. Many times. Which yeah. I guess is a red herring in this case. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and also it happened at the three broomsticks. Um, but yeah, the 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 reveal that she was imperious this whole time, I feel, is a little cheap, just because it's like she had like it it works purely like location based for those clues, <laughs> like yeah. in proximity. Yes, I guess she was near where all the other clues happened, but like there's nothing about her behavior that's like oh interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's, like, another thing that could have been cool if this book had any focus whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. If, if we, we had interacted with Rosmerta at all. If we'd interacted with her at all, if we knew what the Imperious Curse did and, like, what its limits were or, like, how it could be work really well or if Draco was good at doing Unforgivable Cur- you know, any anything, like, if we had been thrown any kind of bone here that was an actual clue and not just, like... Like, well, they turn their location on, and it was near where Katie Bell got the package. So. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, oh, and speaking of uh, uh, magic working in ways that it never has before, we've got this scene of Dumbledore rearranging the, the Hogwarts enchantments on the fly, mm-hmm. which is very, which is, like, kind of cool. Like, the, the, like the image is very interesting of, like, oh, he's, like... I don't know. It's like it's like every hacker movie kind of where he's like, oh, he's he's doing all this on the fly. He's he's typing so fast, right. but like it doesn't mean anything because I don't know what those enchantments are, or how they work, or how. No, hard... it's not like we've seen a character try to get through them, or no. or like be like, oh, we can't get through this force field or whatever. Yeah, in fact, characters who don't 
like who we don't want to be at Hogwarts seem to get there all the time. Uh, we what we've had the executioners, we've had the pe- the dragon rescuer people, we've had imperialist politicians we've had uh mad eye moody fake fake mad eye moody walking like we we don't know as far as we know there there's no enchantments around the castle at all like i mean uh, i mean i think that at the beginning of this book maybe it was said like dumbledore put even more more guard guarded and which i think is something that comes up but Nobody interacts with them. We don't see them. We don't see any of the effects of those. They are never an obstacle for any character that we encounter at any time. I want to see someone get bug zappered by the Hogwarts enchantments. I want like a scene of of like, oh, there's a crazy guy outside Hogwarts. What's he going to do? And all the kids are watching out the window or something. And then he gets like, like he flies back like the kid uh, in Jurassic Park when he touches the electric fence. Like I want to mm-hmm. show us anything that like it, it, that tells us, oh, this is why you can't go to Hogwarts. Right. right. Like like do this chapter more than anything, I think, reveals how weird J.K. Rowling's priorities were writing these more serious books mm-hmm. in, in that none of the the mystery, the real meat and potatoes set up and payoff mystery is what she's interested in. Uh, I think she was purely interested in writing about how uh, uh, Dumbledore is a cool guy who does what has to be done to fight a shadow war. Right. And that's cool. That's fine. If you want to write a book about, about like shady magic politics, be my guest. That sounds awesome. But it is, stuck in this book that is also trying to wrap a mystery around that and not only have the characters in this mystery other than harry been completely uninterested in it but it feels like the author was too like like we've had characters literally say to harry like stop caring about the mystery and i feel like that might be the author speaking to us yeah i mean i hate to say show don't tell um but like that's that's the enchantments that's the words right like it can't it can't be cool that Dumbledore takes them down if we were never shown what they were to begin with exactly yeah it's there's so much in here that is just I mean similar to the similar to all the like of the nature of the soul bullshit about horcruxes right It, it is assumed that we have an understanding of how cool these payoffs are but we've never we've never gotten the setups for them. Mm-mm. I think the biggest thing I want to talk about in this chapter, because it's also like the longest thing in this chapter, is this Draco and Dumbledore conversation. I'm being too negative. It, but it makes no sense. Go on. I just, I just, this conversation is so long. I don't know. Like obviously, we've said like, what is Dumbledore's character? He's cool guy, I guess. Um, Draco is just like a character here out of nowhere. I don't know who this kid is mm-hmm. at yeah, all. We've never seen Draco like this. We we get it. We got like the the smallest glimpse of it with the moaning Myrtle stuff in this book, mm-hmm. but we have still not spent enough time with him to really grapple with this idea of Draco getting cold feet on the whole being a death eater thing. And I'm not against it. Like, like again, these are what is so silly about this, similar to the, um, 
the Harry not being able to do anything about Dumbledore getting murdered thing is that the, these aren't, this isn't like JK Rowling swung for the fences on a really difficult idea and just didn't get all the way there. Right. It is Mm -hmm. JK Rowling is failing to deploy some of the most bog standard juicy drama tropes. Yeah. That exist. Right. I mean, it's really funny. Like the the whole the whole conflict with Draco is something. There there is no payoff because the only part of it that is upsetting or dramatic or or a conflict is a is a is like an abstract thing where like yeah, a kid being told he has to kill someone or his family will be killed. That's messed up. Mm-hmm. I know I know that. That is abstractly an upsetting thing, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But I have no connection with this character that makes that uniquely like a conflict in the story or to make me care about it. And it's and that has been a theme across the entire book, right? I yeah. mean, we'll get to it, but it's Fenrir Greyback. Obviously. Uh, someone that wants to kill kids specifically, abstractly, is bad like that's a messed up thing to do but i have no connection or reason to care in the context of the story beyond that for the characters yeah well the thing and the thing specifically with draco that i think is so annoying is that you know for for as much as i like to clown on the like weekly post on the subreddit that's like draco should have been like zuko from the last airbender and gotten a redemption arc and been epic, right? Like, th- I think that that is honestly a fair criticism because it's like, what else was supposed to go here? Like, why else would you write this ending sequence with Draco here where he, like, you know, he realizes, like, oh shit, I'm in over my head. I don't want to kill Dumbledore. I'm realizing all of the, uh, uh, you know, not only the political implications, but the personal ones, right? Like, why dump that all at the very end when you could have really had a like a pretty interesting book about that all the way through like draco has the potential to be such an interesting character but he's not he is he is a cartoon and that's also fine like i love draco in the first uh uh well maybe not book two where he becomes like actual hitler Mm-hmm. Um, but in book one and three and like his very brief appearances in four, him just as like the like stock asshole foil for Harry is really enjoyable, right? Like like he's a snooty kid. Uh uh he he represents all of the like, you know, the shitty views of the upper crust in the society, but he's also just like a schoolyard bully, really, right? Like like he he is just like completely uh uh bog standard enjoyable guy you love to hate yeah um and you could transition that quite elegantly into oh i used to hate this guy but i'm realizing that maybe his you know his his convictions his his horrible political viewpoints or whatever maybe aren't truly his right like that is Mm -hmm. such an easy again one of there are one-off episodes of Star Trek where they do this with a like a guest actor, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. 
where he's an asshole for the first half and then you you learn to sympathize with him in the back half. Um you could easily construct this this story where like Draco becomes more sympathetic to the reader and you and you feel for him in this moment but it doesn't quite and i think i think this really does all go back to this is a failing of this series being stuck with one pov yeah i i think that if harry had a part in this story where he was actually interacting with draco or becoming an obstacle with draco's plan like if anything happened with their conflict beyond yeah. Harry saying Draco is up to something. Right. Yeah. Then I think that could be fine. Like if Harry knew what Draco was up to and was trying and, and was in this like power struggle with him to try to stop his plans or whatever, <laughs> then I think that could work because then that could develop both of their characters yeah. But but this whole conversation, which you're right, like it does feel like it is trying to be that other thing where it's like, where is this going? But the answer is it's really just for the sake of Dumbledore. Right. And characterizing him because for some reason she has lost all interest in every other character <laughs> in this story. But what makes it so funny is that Dumbledore has also gone through the same transformation as like what kind of character he is and it has also not worked like draco could have gone from annoying guy you love to hate to like villain of circumstance that you actually sympathize with that could have happened but it didn't but like dolor has also gone from like um uh like wise quirky older mentor figure to uh, uh winston churchill mm -hmm. and has just excuse me has just completely botched that transition as well because it, it just like it never the, the, it was like a harsh left turn it wasn't it wasn't a like smooth curve or whatever he realized oh this character has changed it's just like you open page one of book five and realize oh dumbledore is just a different character now um yeah and, and and Draco in this scene, I think, is just a new character. Because we've we've just never seen this before. I mean, he's a lot of new characters. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, in this book he is embodying like like he he could go in many directions and be many different new characters. Uh just just purely based on what happens in this story. Did you imagine him in the waiter suit, by the way? Yes. Of course. <laughs> yeah. What else would he be wearing? That's a good point. Well, you know what he could be wearing that I think might have added a little bit of conflict and irony to the scene? What? He could have thrown off Harry's invisibility cloak that he should have taken at the beginning of the book. <sighs> this should have been a Harry versus Draco book. It really should have. Uh, like, that is what I... mean, that it kind is of what technically I... is, but not... <laughs> Really? <laughs> it technically is. He just, Draco never shows up and no one is interested in this fight. Like, if this had been... <sighs> Imagine this, like, like you know, Harry gets bested by Draco at the beginning of the book. He gets the invisibility cloak stolen from him. Uh, uh, Dumbledore tells him, make sure you've got the fucking cloak on you this whole year. I'm serious. And he's like, okay, and lies to Dumbledore. Then they get to the cave and, and he doesn't have the cloak. And then when they get back to the astronomy tower, 
Draco is waiting for them. He's laid this trap with the dark mark and he throws off the invisibility cloak and he petrifies Harry. Oh, that's so juicy. I got goosebumps. Right? Like, it, it, but, but like, am I crazy? Is that not the most obvious? Oh, and Harry could spend the whole year trying to get his cloak back because Dumbledore keeps bringing it up. Maybe Dumbledore knows that Harry lost it. Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. and then Harry, like, in trying to harass Draco, get his cloak back, doing this, like, schoolyard, like, conflict or whatever, he realizes that Draco is, like, actually up to something, like, serious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ugh. That's so good. That's, I, I, but I just, I just feel like, like, part of me, I didn't just, like, invent that. I, I, part of me almost remembers it that way. <laughs> like, that's a false memory I have of, like, no, this story was cool. Like, that's Draco's character is that is is that he's he's Harry's rival or whatever, but that's not really the case. Just think, ten years from now, we're going to be looking back on the Half Blood Prince and we'll be like, yeah, there was a Harry versus Draco story, and um, Dumbledore was an evil zombie the whole time. Ah, oh, it'll be so fucking that's our, cool. That's our favorite Harry Potter book, Half Blood Prince, <laughs> where Dumbledore is the evil zombie. <laughs> but like, there's just it, this this book is almost like in in conflict with itself trying to remove any like there there is a phrase and i can't even remember what i re- i was reading a review for some other movie that i watched and enjoyed and there's a piece of the review that really stuck out to me that said it's a fun movie but it really pulls its punches because the author, like, or the director clearly likes these characters too much. Mm-hmm. And so nothing of consequence ever happens. I, I wish I remembered what this movie was. Anyway, um, like, I, I don't know if I agreed with it specifically for that movie, but it was, a, like, that is a, that is a, like, piece of criticism that has really stuck with me recently. This idea yeah. that, like, someone watched something and was like, well, I, I think it was good, but I can tell that you are too affectionate to these characters. And I think that that's sort of maybe what happened here, except that it's a weird roundabout version of it where it's less that um, JK Rowling likes Dumbledore too much. Cause if she liked him too much, he would have lived forever. Right. But it's like th- this entire book is a series of like awkward contrivances to get us to the coolest, most tragic death possible for Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. Like a, this is a sad AMV waiting to happen. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it, it is. I, 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 and I, I just have like this vision of like th- this, and this isn't even like a, a, a negative thing on its face. I just think that this, this is like how we arrived here. I, I think that this is one of those cases where Dumbledore being blasted off of the astronomy tower is maybe one of like the first and most lasting images that JK Rowling might've ever thought about for this series Mm -hmm. and was just so tunnel vision focused on getting there that, that like nothing else mattered. And even if it meant turning Harry into a camera um, for the scene, uh, 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 by God, she would get there. It's so weird how mired down it gets in the, the Dumbledore Draco conversation, especially yeah. because it's the end of the book. And all of a sudden we have a character Draco, um, who as far as I know, doesn't really get much of an arc going forward, but I, I obviously don't remember Deathly Hallows very well. I've read it once ever. Um, but he states 
maybe three or four different motivations that he suddenly has for us. And it's wild that it's all to build up to this huge moment of Dumbledore getting blasted off the astronomy tower. And in fact, I think it might have just been more shocking if Draco had just walked out there and just killed him. You know, and I know that he couldn't yeah. he couldn't have killed him because Snape needed to do it for whatever reason. Um, but it is it, the back and forth between Draco and Dumbledore is so weird. And we get like a bunch of different motivations that Draco has, one of which is so weird, which is like, I will be the favorite to Voldemort instead of Snape. <laughs> yeah. Wh- where did this like Snape? Du- where, where did this like Snape envy come from? Where like, what's that about? It, it feels like I'm getting this, like, glimpse of this other story where Draco is the protagonist, you know? Yeah. He's, like, like, the anti-hero like, protagonist. Like, like there, there's a glimpse into this that feels more like Star Wars fan fiction, where it's, like, Draco really adheres to the rule of two, and he's gonna kill his master and become become the, the Sith Lord, right? right? Which is stupid, but more compelling than this, which is, like, what, wait, wait, why do you hate Snape's, like, the cool teacher that gives lets you get away with whatever you want like why do you hate this guy i also am not sure why draco's holding these two thoughts in his head which are i want to be voldemort's favorite but also i don't want to i i you know voldemort's gonna kill my family if i don't do my mission (laughs) right yeah it's it's i i want to be the best i want to i want to i want to kiss the ring but also i'm very scared of this guy and i understand that it's like supposed to be that like it's a like it's complex for him. He's he's conflicted. He's having a hard time. But that is that is a a tall order for a character that we haven't heard say more than two lines before now. Yeah, like it, again, similar to the like you can write a story about having no agency. You can write a story about a character holding those two thoughts in their head. Like I want to be the best bad guy, and oh. I actually might just be secretly very terrified of this bad guy, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's a that's an interesting story, but but that's not what we get out of Draco because he just sort of blurts these motivations out for the first time in this scene. Yeah, it's just it's it's a lot, and also for a character to to say those things out loud together with no setup, it it, it feels uh, like like say. And I guess the most generous reading, or I guess probably the way it is intended to be read, to be honest, is that he is trying to put on a big show of being the big bad Death Eater. I'm going to be the best. I'm going to be Voldemort's second in command. It's going to be sweet. I'm going to kill Dumbledore. It's going to be awesome. But secretly, he's like terrified, like Voldemort's going to kill my family. I just have to protect the people I care about. I'm on my own. I am isolated. No one can help me. I'm scared. But to have him say both of those things out loud (laughs) is a bit much. Yeah, he's just saying the text and subtext for his character out loud, where at that point it no longer becomes subtext, right? Like, yeah, and it's th- like it's... we're just meeting him for the first time here, and it's the end of the book. So yeah. I don't know about this one. I, so here's my thing with this conversation: mm-hmm. is that I think this is uh, uh, the worst thing that this whole scene does is honestly the way that it. Um, treats Dumbledore and by extension the Order of the Phoenix in this Mm. because my prevailing opinion on Dumbledore in this scene isn't that he's like very cool and wise it's honestly that he's just kind of stupid because 
this what happens in the scene is Draco has won more or less. He's figured it out. But then Dumbledore is like, you stupid kid. I knew all along it was you. Like while being held at gunpoint. And he's like, <laughs> and he's like, well, you're not going to do anything about it. But if, but if you want to come over to our side, we can protect you. But also, I knew all this time, but I couldn't say that I knew all this time. It, it, like, it's just rambling, honestly. And there is a version of this where it, it would... Th- the version of this story I want, aside from the one where uh, Draco throws off the invisibility cloak, and it, it, this is a consequence for Harry to face, um, is I want this to be the scene where Dumbledore's, like, omniscient wise uh 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 uh, like uh, a supreme genius thinking 10 moves ahead acts just falls apart because like like textually that is what happens here yeah he retains none of his dignity in this conversation no it, it like he like but but in a way that's really fascinating in the that i feel like jk rowling was almost arguing with her with herself writing this like trying to stretch this to still make Dumbledore look like he's 10 moves ahead because he just looks like a total fool here. He's been outsmarted by a 16 year old. He didn't, he didn't figure out the Rosmerta thing. Uh, he, um, he, he just yelled at Harry before they went to the cave that, uh, his will is absolute and you, you will dare not question my dedication to protecting the students of this school. Like, Everything Dumbledore, like, puts on as a, as, like, an affectation has fallen apart here, but that's not what's happening in the story. It's just, like, it's like J.K. Rowling realizing that in real time and trying to write out of it because she wants him to maintain those affectations, you know? There's a really funny part because throughout this entire conversation, there's, like, cartoon fighting being heard in the background. (laughs) And, And Dumbledore is like... Ah, you stupid kid. Uh, why are your pals not here that you smuggled into the school? And and Draco says, like, well, um, they got a little waylaid by your your army or whatever. And Dumbledore says, like, oh, yeah, they'll do that. And Draco responds, like, well, one of them's dead. And Dumbledore's like, oh, that's <laughs> bad. <laughs> like, uh, ooh, ooh. I was so frustrated by this, this in particular because I... I would love this to be just Dumbledore getting his just desserts for always thinking he is like the 3D chess master, right? Like, like him, him just uh, uh, thinking he he knows everyone's you know, you know all the where all the pieces are and and like like knowing how to get out of everything and then just getting like shot in the face, right? Like <laughs> like that on paper, I think is a fitting end to this kind of character yeah right um but instead it's like this is also part of his like he's thinking 11 moves ahead now because he got he's getting snape to kill him to protect draco or whatever why though and, <laughs> who fucking knows <laughs> who, who fucking knows what anyone's motivation is at this point it is it, it is just it is just nonsense. I mean, like, it is It is such a Sherlock-ass scene, right? Because it's just two characters one-upping each other on how their secret plan has, like, outdone the last <laughs> Yeah, but it's also, like, the first of... we've heard of it. 
Yeah, exactly. It's the first we've heard of it. So so none of this it's just like layers and layers of like extra bullshit that doesn't actually matter to the story. And then then to just cap it all off, we get three Death Eaters who have not been characters up to this point walking in and also joining in on this conversation. This is my favorite part. This is when it like officially crosses that the line. We are back in Hagrid's hut. We are in our in our climax farce that is in every single one of these books. And and we get we get my new favorite characters, Electo Amicus, and yes. Fenrir Greyback, who is a real sicko. Let's talk about Fenrir Greyback. This is maybe the funniest thing I've ever read. Hilarious. Can I just read the passage? <laughs> please, can, can I read the conversation? Do. It is okay. so funny. Uh, he had a voice like none Harry had ever heard, a rasping bark of a voice. Harry could smell a powerful mixture of dirt, sweat, and unmistakably blood coming from him. His filthy hands had long yellowish nails. Is that you, Fenrir? asked Dumbledore. <laughs> That's right, rasped the other. Please, oh, excuse me. That's right, rasped the other. Pleased to see me, Dumbledore. No, I cannot say that I am. Greyback grinned, showing pointed teeth. Blood trickled down his chin, and he licked his lips obscenely. But you know how much I like kids, Dumbledore. <laughs> am I to take it that you are attacking even without the full moon now? That is most unusual. You have developed a taste for human flesh that cannot be satisfied <laughs> once a month? That's right, said Fenrir Greyback. Shocks you that, does it, Dumbledore? Frighten you? <laughs> ah, we have left we have left the Middle Earth cave and we are right back on criminal minds here in the astronomy tower. This is the least scary character in this series. <laughs> like by far. <laughs> I thought that was Bellatrix, but Fenrir is definitely like has has taken that crown um, as I least Bellatrix scary scary here. character. I know we know we know her. Yeah, like at least it could be another Death Eater we know. But instead, we get Fenrir Greyback coming in and being like, "Oh, Dumbledore, guess what? I like to eat kids now." <laughs> like it's just so <laughs> stupid. You thought killing Sirius Black was bad. Wait until you meet the child cannibal werewolf guy. It's. <laughs> It's not scary. I mean, that's another thing that is bad in the abstract, right? That that is the whole the whole story of of this like criminal minds JK Rowling writing where it's like, yeah, that yeah. would be messed up. The only actor that I ever want to see portraying Fenrir Greyback in a new adaptation is he's just Ricky Gervais. Oh my god. He's just like, "Oh, ooh, did I offend you? <laughs> oh, oh, do you not like it when I eat when I eat kids? Oh, I've got a taste for flesh now." <laughs> Does that offend you that I've got a taste for human flesh and I'm ripping little kids' throats out? Does that piss you off? <laughs> it's also just, like, not the time. Like, this scene is not the time for this conversation. <laughs> right, like, like, if I'm being charitable to the Draco and, and Dumbledore thing, it's at least, like, solemn. Mm-hmm. And then this like nine foot tall <laughs> werewolf guy comes in and is like, "Hey, what's up? I love to eat children. <laughs> Isn't that fucked up? It's so stupid. <sighs> it's like if it, it, it's like if Freddy Krueger just walked into the middle of like a found footage horror movie or something. It just doesn't like individually those things can be good, but like you can't you can't just jam them together like this." 
It is it is so funny. You said something that I, that has stuck with me, um, which is, uh, what does it look like when this guy and Lupin hang out? Right. Like, we already had that bit when this guy was first introduced in the Christmas chapter, right? Where it's like, well, maybe they hang out and do improv because who fucking like they're human <laughs> most of the time, I guess. But like now, there's a double whammy in this. Um, of like making Lupin and by extension also just like the rest of the order look really lame. What does the Order of the Phoenix do? So they can't use the killing spell, I guess. So they keep on getting knocked the fuck out whenever they actually have to fight Death Eaters. Yeah. Lupin has been in close proximity to like the 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 biggest sicko child murderer in the nation. <laughs> uh-huh. And not only that, he, I guess would have been privy to witnessing Fenrir. Cause, cause Fenrir is, is giving us new information about himself here. Like he, I guess he didn't used to eat kids on the regular. He just did it when he was in, in wolf form. Right. Because that's, now I guess that's what just, it was. That's what Lupin told us. Right. Is that he would like, yeah. Wait outside of like an orphanage. <laughs> like, like sitting and waiting until the full moon, and then he'd go go sicko on the on those kids, you know, yeah. while he's a werewolf. But now, now he has evolved past that. Yeah. So now he's evolved past that, and like I guess also Lupin has not passed this information on to Dumbledore because Dumbledore's like, oh, I, oh, that's new. Like, ooh, you eat kids now? <laughs> like that's that's fucked up, I guess. <laughs> Like, I guess Lupin didn't. It's like, what the fuck is Lupin doing? What 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 is he? What is his job? What is the what does the order do? Do they just like hang out with the worst people in the Wizarding World and like not like I guess not kill them and also not get information from them? Like, what 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 the fuck is the order doing all day? I mean, I think that they're like really just showing up with the worst people in the world and then like trying to debate them, right? I say that as a joke, <laughs> but I think that's what they do. That's I think no. I, I think that's I think that's probably it, right? Because they don't they don't fight the Death Eaters unless unless the Death Eaters like start fighting them. And like oh, this is one of those things where it's like, I get that this is a kid's story. Or it was at one point. And when the order was introduced, it was like, oh, here's the noble resistance faction, right? And they they don't stoop to the levels of Voldemort's gang, murder or whatever. But right now we are being presented with uh, the world's worst cannibal child murderer, who Lupin has apparently like been just in close contact with all year or whatever. And I don't know what the point of that is. Why would Lupin not just kill this guy? Why would Dumbledore not want this guy dead? And what is it that the what what benefit is there to the order if they can't or won't fight these guys? Like if you were if you were going to write a story about like how oh you can ne- you can never stoop to the level of of the bad guys, you know, we we've always got to treat them with humanity or like fine. But if you're doing that, you also need to write the bad guys with a level of humanity. Right? Like like you you can tell that story yeah but this is a story where like 
Dumbledore's like kill him with kindness plan is being applied to uh, a cannibal, a crazy lady who uh, 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 got out of prison just so she could um, uh, f- kill the son of the uh, the two people that she tortured to death <laughs> bef- before she got sent to prison, and Voldemort, who is uh, 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 like the the snake death king, like it just doesn't it doesn't work it doesn't add up like th- these are two different levels of storytelling nuance being rammed together i mean as far as like a group of villains go it is very weird to have this like kind of like political story but the like bad guys are also just this like society of serial killers I, and I think that that is honestly like if i have to, if i had to like give my most serious criticism of this i think that this is where the politics end of Harry Potter really just completely like combusts on itself, which is the death eaters are simultaneously a like evil cabal of all of the richest wizarding families. And also stereotypical underclass serial killer, like, like scum of the earth people. Yeah. And it's like, which is it? Is the is this a story about how much you hate the like the grimy pores, or is this a story about how bad the like the like evil wizarding uh, uh, Renaissance like families are? And it's like we we've never we've not really gotten to see much of the like upper crust wizarding family stuff happen. Really, we only see Fenrir and. Uh, um, Bellatrix, who are psycho, or we see Amicus and Electo, Electo, mm-hmm. who are cartoon Cockney like like poor people, uh, and and you know likewise with the um with the like the pensive stuff with uh with what's his face shouting about how oh i'm i'm descended from slytherin blood and it's like oh but you live in a shitty a shitty house so who's the fool really like like it is so muddled from that perspective uh and it's it it really just like if like the one thing that we could rescue from this chapter is like well maybe the politics stuff will be more interesting after this is like no i don't think it will i think it's gonna i think it's just gonna get worse i I guess my i mean i've said this to various effects before and i think we both have is that um when people tell you that this is their like moral neoliberal textbook i'd say believe them this (laughs) seems true (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah more more than we could possibly imagine uh, uh, the, the best way to deal with the cartoon bad guys is to just, I guess, take it from them forever and never actually do anything. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. Yeah. I, I mean, I think I, I, I thought that that was going to be what this was, but I am honestly surprised. Like the, like how surface level it really is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that brings us to the most important part of this chapter the denouement uh mr mr snape coming up the stairs and and just blasting dumbledore putting an end to this farce thank you snape thank you snape once again doing god's work as he (laughs) always does dumbledore got blasted it literally says blasted it says he gets blasted and then he ragdolls off the tower (laughs) 
there's so so here's here's my thing back just backing up like a couple pages uh-huh. the you know what i was saying about how like i wish this was a story about like uh, uh dumbledore's carefully constructed like 12th dimensional chess persona being like destroyed mm-hmm. right that if you take the end of this chapter as the end of the story like it works from that perspective like he was he was such an idiot this whole time and you trusted snape all along and then it turns out no you really were too trusting snape is the bad guy boom he blasts you off the tower sure the, the, but like reading that and knowing what comes next with the torn <laughs> Snape stuff is so funny. Like, oh boy, there's actually a very contrived reason why Snape is a uh, uh, quadruple crossing everyone in this scene. And it's all according to Dumbledore's plan. Actually, I died on purpose. <laughs> that was just, you. You walked right into my trap of killing me in a really cool. Uh, well, I, I say really cool. Again, it does say blasted. It does say he can got you, blasted. Can you read like the last paragraph for me? Or like like start at like the Severus please thing. Severus, please. Snape raised his wand and pointed it directly at Dumbledore. Avada Kedavra. A jet of green light shot from the end of Snape's wand and hit Dumbledore squarely in the chest. Harry's scream of horror never left him, silent and unmoving. He was forced to watch as Dumbledore was blasted into the air. For a split (laughs) second, he seemed to hang, suspended beneath the shining skull, and then he fell slowly backward, like a great rag doll, over the battlements and out of sight. He really ragdolled! He really ragdolled off the tower. We really got the Source Engine clipping sound effects playing as he gets thrown off the tower. I've been playing The Witcher 3, and sometimes when Mm -hmm. I kill a guy, their, like, arm will windmill a little bit as they're ragdolling. Oh, yeah. So that's kind of what I was picturing. Yeah, I know. You know when, in The Witcher, when you, um, when you, like, get the finish, like, the slow-mo finisher on a guy? Oh, yeah, cut him right in half. He cuts him in half, but like one of the halves just goes flying sometimes. <laughs> that's what happened here. It's so there's part of me that's like, okay, this this is supposed to be like an unceremonious end to a very studious character. Beloved. Beloved Belo- character. Like, it's like, oh, this is reminding you that he is, you know, he is simply human and he can die in just a like ugly and and uh, uh, stupid way that anyone could, but it's that part about like oh and he 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 hung for a minute underneath the shining skull before falling like a red. And it's like oh no, this is supposed to look badass. Yeah, is you know what, that is what... you know that thing that they do sometimes where they set up the um the cameras in like a ring around a shot yeah. it's like really expensive mm-hmm. to do they did it for the sherlock wedding episode um and mm-hmm. then they like make it pause and like the camera pans around the still uh figure yeah. it'd be like that badass yeah. it's a really badass when when snape just blasts dumbledore into the into the dark mark and he falls off the tower i remember how this happens in the movie i i, I have a vivid picture of how this happens in the film and it's even funnier there, I think, uh, because they go for like the diehard ending mm. here. Oh, they do, don't they? 
They do, except that he's the good guy. So you're like, what am I supposed to be feeling here? <laughs> um, also starring Alan Rickman, yeah. funnily enough. I didn't even think Alan of that Alan Rickman I said getting that. on the other side of that one. Yeah, that's true. Um, but yes, it is. It is a ridiculous end to a ridiculous chapter and a ridiculous character, I think. I... I, I know that we have been complaining a lot these last few chapters, but I really think that this book has just ha- has just really kind of run aground in a really weird way um, that has that has just not been not been pleasant to read or revisit. No, I'm actually I mean, a little I'm a little bit surprised. It, it is not as if I I mean, I know we've been doing a close read. So obviously I am probably just less emotional in general reading this book yeah. than I would be if I were sitting down to read it just for entertainment. Um, but there yeah. have been some moments, honestly, and I think that I bring them up mostly when they happen on the podcast. Mm. Um, I can't think of any right now when I've been emotional, but it's <laughs> happened. I'm pretty sure. Um, I thought that the, that the Moaning Myrtle chapter was like pretty excellent. Uh, and I thought that the Felix Felicis stuff was great. Yeah. There's been some stuff in this book that has been really, really good. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't I don't want to just like dump on it too much, but I, I just think that it, it has really spiraled quickly. Basically from the Horcrux chapter to now, um it has uh well no, because there's one really good one in between there that. The the the, the Quidditch and Ginny and whatever chapter was really good. Um, but, uh, but I think just getting to this, you know, monumental moment in the series that everyone remembers and like, and like has been such a big part of like the fandom. I, I have been struck by this, just remembering that, like, I, I also similar to the Horcrux stuff at the time, I'm just kind of like, eh, this didn't. I never felt for this chapter, I guess. No, I think the most I felt in this chapter, and it's just because I'm still, um, still number one Snape fan, um, is, is Snape, like Draco saying that Snape is Voldemort's favorite. And I thought in my head, that's why Voldemort taught Snape how to fly and no one else. (laughs) I want to see Snape and Voldemort hanging out. I want to get the chapter of them like, like cooling, and 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 learning to fly and and Dumbledore or keep saying mixing them up. Voldemort saying like, "Oh, Snape, I love doing evil shit, don't you?" <laughs> and Snape having to go, "Yes, I too love doing evil shit." What do you think it was like when Voldemort was like, "Today I'm going to teach you how to fly." And do you think it was difficult? Like it was like a whole day lesson, like apparating, or do you think it was just like, "Here's the magic word, now you know." I want to know what the relationship between those two, like, like, was it weird? Was it, was it like an uncomfortable, like, like, oh, this is maybe getting a little too, like, like intimate with my boss kind of thing here. Like, uh, like, I don't really want to like hang out with Voldemort. Right. Because normally it's like they're hanging out and they're kind of sitting around the table. Lucius Malfoy's probably there. I assume Electo and Amicus are there. Maybe Fenrir has a spot (laughs) at the table. Um, and, And like Snape is just like there and he's like in the meeting. Um, but when, when it's like Snape, we're having a one-on-one, I'm going to teach you how to fly. If Snape was like dreading that for the whole week, like, oh, "Oh, Snape, Snape, you, you've always been my favorite. What do you think about, what if we started a podcast? (laughs) 
And Snape's just like, well, I mean, I don't want to say no to my boss, but I don't know if we really have that kind of relationship. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm pretty busy with my my spying uh, and my my full time teaching job. And, oh, we we could record it in the summer. <laughs> It'd be we could get them we could we could get them all out ahead of time and just release them once once a week. <laughs> It's like, well, it's, well, it could be fun, but you know, I don't want to say no to my boss. What if you just taught me to fly instead? You know, I'm always. <laughs> oh, you oh, you want to learn how to fly? Just should have said something <laughs> earlier. <laughs> yeah, because I, I just again, Voldemort is a character that we have not gotten like any real characterization of, and. I that, I feel like that is asking for uh, to drink poison maybe to get some like proper characterization of like what modern Voldemort is like in this story. But like, what if what if we got the scene with him teaching teaching Snape? How to yeah, fly? it's so weird because like we know that he used to be Ted Bundy, but we don't really know right. what his deal is now. Yeah, like like we got we we God, I can't believe that I am looking back favorably on this. But I miss the Goblet of Fire vamping scene where he like came out of the cauldron and he was like, he took 10 pages <laughs> to like walk up to every single Death Eater and be like, oh, you were fucking around in, in London all this time. Why didn't you come find me? And oh, well, Snape was doing good, good stuff for me. He's cool. Like I want, I want to. He's cool. I might even teach him how that. to fly. I might. I was going to. When I. <laughs> I was telling myself all the time when I was in the back of that guy's head, when I get out of this, when I get my body back, I'm going to teach all of my friends to fly. <laughs> but none of you came looking for me except Snape. So you know what? <laughs> he gets to learn how to fly. And all of you, you can just keep walking. <sighs> but yeah, what a... What a book. What a book this is. I, I, I'm saying, I'm talking like this book is over. We've got four more, three more chapters. I mean, I think there's going to be like got, a tearjerker funeral scene. So maybe that's when we're supposed to feel something. Yeah, maybe, maybe we'll feel something then. But I'm, I'm like, I feel so deflated by like this being the big emotional payoff for this book and realizing that it, it has, at least for me, it is not delivered on Harry, Dumbledore, Draco. Or Snape as like a satisfying character in this book. I have one good thing and to say about this chapter. Hell yeah. I thought the description of Montague being stuck in the like Twilight Zone in the Vanishing Cabinet was cool. Oh yeah, that was really neat. I wish that we had gotten that at any point before this explanation. Yeah, and like we don't know Montague, and I don't care about Montague. Can you imagine like what if what if that had happened to someone that Harry knew and he heard about that or knew or cared about and that happened like was described <laughs> to us earlier instead of Draco telling us like third hand. But from like a magic perspective, I thought like the idea yeah. of like one of it like the cabinet acts like a portal, but one of them is broken, so he got stuck, You're stuck. in like limbo basically and could and yeah. could like sometimes hear Borgen and Burks and could sometimes hear where the other one was but couldn't get to either side I thought that was cool yeah that's a really that's a really novel idea uh and, and I think a, a much more for, for a chapter that has so many like nonsense and convenient um applications of magic and how magic works Getting a getting a glimpse of like magic being weird and mysterious again is much more 
uh, much more mm-hmm. fun. What was the most highlighted uh, uh, passage in this, in I this one? I actually don't think there is one. I think that they really I think the, the people all got their highlighting um, done when they're with the two lines um, from last chapter. And actually, I wanted to have a small aside about last chapter because we were talking about um, Dumbledore's line. Um, where he says, I'm not worried, I'm with you, which oh, right, I yes. did not put together when we read that, that that was a callback. <laughs> a callback to something someone else said. So, yeah. so rewinding a bit, Harry said to Ron and Hermione when he gave them the luck potion, they were like, oh, don't you need it? You're going on this dangerous mission. And he and right. Harry says, I'm not worried, I'm with Dumbledore. Which, in my mind, makes sense. Dumbledore is the strongest wizard in the world. And so Dumbledore is right. calling that back. But he didn't hear that conversation and still, in my <laughs> mind, has no reason to say that. Right. It is, it is, it is nonsense because it is like it is a like it, it would be an interesting coincidence. Like it would be like a bittersweet coincidence if he had a reason to say it. Uh-huh. Right. But uh, but I think my my criticism of it from last time still stands, which is that like Harry has done absolutely nothing in his entire life <laughs> that would make anyone feel uh, at ease with him after fighting a bunch of zombies. He literally forgot about fire, like minutes after Dumbledore told him that you should use fire to fight the zombies. Yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to mention it because I just yeah. completely missed that. Yeah, yeah, no, me too. It was. It's it also. Uh, uh, would you like to explain what reminded you that it was a callback? I was um, scrolling the Harry Potter subreddit as I often do, and someone like this is actually just truly a coincidence that someone posted their illustration <laughs> and said this was my favorite moment in Harry Potter, and it's like the first panel is Harry saying that thing to Ron and Hermione, and then the second <laughs> panel is Dumbledore saying it to Harry, and I was like, oh. I missed I missed oh. that. I missed that little moment. Yeah. Yeah. The extremely funny. I yeah, I, I it is it is I I I will grant it that it is a callback, but I don't think that it works, yeah. right? Like it it's is It's a callback and that's just about it. That's yes, that's about it. Well, is there anything else we want to discuss in this chapter right now? Or we've honestly, we've kind of got something a little different for our third segment. So we might honestly just kind of be extending our discussion here. So, oh, yes, I'm sorry. I I don't know why I have so many like stray little things. This is my last thing Mm, for this chapter. Um, And it is evidence to something that I said earlier where I feel like um, the scene is Draco being the protagonist of the book, like in some sort of like Draco is the anti hero. Um, that kills mm-hmm. Dumbledore at the end. This is like his climax. And my evidence is going to be um, the part where Draco reveals his plan to Dumbledore, but it says in the text, as though he could not help himself. Oh, I didn't even catch that one. I am one. always on the lookout for a character doing something outside <laughs> of their control, as if as if controlled <laughs> as if, uh, by as some if unknowable force. As if propelled by the need for the story to happen. <laughs> So I, I had to point that out, but that's my last thing. Wonderful. All right. Well, we will now take a short break and then we will be back with a little bit more Snape Kill Dumbledore discussion.
hello and welcome back. Guess what? Hmm. Snape killed Dumbledore. Oh, no. We have reached this chapter a milestone, not just for, I think, our own, you know, reading, as we've talked about, uh, uh, being obsessed with, like, Dumbledore as a character and where where the hell he's going to... Okay, can you hear the honking outside? There's some... No. <laughs> There's some people having a, a like, honk I think, battle. I think they're maybe driving by and holding out a sign that says Snape killed that's, Dumbledore. Yeah, that's probably what it is. So that is also a major, I think, kind of like pop culture milestone for Harry Potter. The release of book six and the lead up to it and the fact that this thing about Snape killing Dumbledore leaked a little early. And I thought that it would be fun for a third segment this week to sort of like talk about our experience kind of like being in the trenches when that happened. And like having yeah. having having to live through the era of Snape killed Dumbledore memes. I think this was a huge turning point, or or rather like moment in pop culture as as a wider thing. And and what I mean by that is like spoiler culture specifically. Yeah, yeah, I I think that's fair. Or I think it is like the, and maybe still is the like the go-to example of like a, a highly anticipated story just having a big capital T twist, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that like, I mean, I guess it's hard to really look at this um, without the bias of having been there, but it is the first time that I really remember it moving f- from, yeah, it's kind of rude to tell someone the ending of a story mm-hmm if they haven't read it or are reading it. But this was like, it It almost, be, it became a thing yeah. uh, for the first time. It, it sort of like expanded out, like really quickly too, like to the point where, like I, obviously I, I don't think it is, um, I don't think it's nice to intentionally spoil something for someone, right? I also don't think it's reasonable to like not ever talk about a twist, right? Like, like the, the, I'm mm-hmm. speaking, we've been talking a lot about characters holding two thoughts, two conflicting thoughts in their head. I hold both of those in my head at all times. I don't like, I don't like ruining stuff for people. I think it's mean to do it on purpose. I also think at a certain point, you've just got to be able to talk about stuff openly, right? Like you can't, you can't just not ever talk about a story. Um, but the, the Snape killed Dumbledore thing was really fascinating because it, I think it's the fastest I've seen still a like major spoiler become a joke to people outside of the, like the thing, if that makes sense. Uh-huh. Um, Snape killed Dumbledore. Like I remember like the daily show, I think made jokes about it. And like, yeah, like, like it was, re- it was just like out, like it became me. Like why T- do you remember why TMND? Do you remember like all that, all those old, yeah. like, like why TMND? Yeah. Like Snape killed Dumbledore. Like that was like a funny prank you would pull is that you would name your why TMND something else. And then it would pop open and it would say, be something completely different and say Snape killed Dumbledore. Like it just became a joke and i i remember i went into uh uh book six knowing what happened because of that because just because it hmm. because it became a phenomenon online like before uh the book came out i i knew going in and it was weird having that knowledge being around people who didn't 
you know, obviously other people were much less online around me in line at the bookstore. Uh, someone did drive by and shout it when I was there. Um, really? But I, well, the thing is, I think they tried to. I don't think they succeeded. Like, hmm. they drove by in a car. They were yelling. You, you couldn't really make out what it was. They they they, uh, they got out of there pretty quick. But, yeah, it was um, it was weird being, in, like, in the midst of that as it was happening. Hmm. Yeah, I did not have it spoiled for me. I was very online, and I was specifically online in the Harry Potter fandom at that time. <laughs> I guess in 2006, although 2005, it might have been kind I, I of... Guess is, yeah, is the actual date, 2005, yeah. yeah, so so that would have been, but I think that everyone in the Harry Potter fandom itself was very respectful. Yeah. As a rule, right? Um... So I I did not have it spoiled. I that missed that missed me completely and I was enough of a fan when it came out that I just got my hands on the book mm-hmm. and then and just read it. Did you know it had been spoiled? Like like uh, maybe as someone who was like like uh, in the, on the one hand you were probably in the safest place to not get spoiled like being really deeply embedded in the fandom at that time cuz I'm sure everyone would kind of want to keep that from getting out or, or uh-huh. keep people from posting it or whatever. But like, did, did, was there like any sort of like inkling or knowledge that something had been spoiled and that you had to stay offline or, or stay out and, you know, stay in these, uh, 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 you know, community friendly spaces until you've read the book or whatever. So it's kind of funny because I don't remember. And the, and what I do remember is that I did know that it was spoiled. And I think that I knew that because of the local news. Because mm-hmm. this was, it was on the news. It was, a, yeah. it was a news story, right? Like it was, it was such a crazy thing. Um, but I was actually at the time, literally like the couple days and the day that the book came out, I was going through my first breakup. So, oh. so I was having my own like, personal drama so i do not remember specifically if i had known outside or or what was going on in the fandom circles right right oh that makes sense that's uh that's so wild that those two things that what a what a fucking weird thing to have coincide i yeah i was kind of holding on to this this fun reveal um which is that i had my probably first real you know, high school breakup in the parking lot of Borders the night that Harry Potter. Oh came my out. god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, yep. I did not know this. I know because I I kept it for this. Oh this my exciting god. Reveal. This is my Snape Snape killed Dumbledore uh, reveal. That's um, powerful. And and every, I mean anyone that has been sixteen knows that that's just the end I of mean, the fucking world. You go world. through your first your first your first breakup, and it was it was honestly like a little. It was not Harry Potter related, but it was a very like, um, you know, do do you want to stand in line at the bookstore and get Harry Potter, or do you want to like work this out? And I was like, I'm getting Harry Potter. Goodbye. Hell yeah! St- stuck to your so. stuck to your guns on that one. I res- absolutely I that. for this garbage book yeah <laughs> oh that is so delightful i had n- I, had, I had no idea that is <laughs> that is such a good i uh i i don't have anything that interesting in comparison i just got the book and read it on you know cover to cover in i think two sittings maybe um mm-hmm. because th- there was like a weird thing of like I knew I knew the spoiler, but part of me like 
didn't believe it. And also part of me uh, was like, well, there's got to be a catch, right? Like, like it's got to be, it's got to be a fake death or something. And I guess I was sort of right in that Snape is like, I think rereading this book, one of the funniest things that has leapt out, um, like to me now, as opposed to reading it at the time is it is so quaint to think about the, all the debates on like, well, is Snape really a good guy or a bad guy? Uh, I think you've mentioned this before, right? Like that, that first chapter with Snape and Narcissa and stuff, it, it is just so obvious that he is really a good guy or, or is really on the Dumbledore's side the whole time. Right. Like, yeah. And especially in this read through, it becomes much more apparent because of how attached JK Rowling is to making Dumbledore be the, the three dimensional chess master <laughs> extraordinaire that like he would, he would never come go to his knees and, and beg, beg Snape for his life, you know? Right, exactly. It just seems obvious. I wish, Although, I wish he would. A lot of the a lot of the other things that seem obvious, like Dumbledore being a villain <laughs> or or this and that, are obviously not yeah. true. So yeah, but but I think you you mentioned that like oh, there's such special care paid to Dumbledore's character. I think also the amount of care that is paid to Snape's like Snape gets a POV chapter in this. Uh, or, or or not yeah. not POV, but like he gets a chapter dedicated to his his specific conflict with Narcissa. Like that would not have happened if the twist was, oh, Snape is really truly a bad guy, right? Like it's it's a little uh, 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 just a li- just a little too pat, I guess. Yeah. Um, but that being said, it was you know it, like it was it was just such a big deal. I remember it. Um, really shaking a lot of people online up. I I know a lot of people were so pissed off that they did said they were not going to read the seventh book. Um, I sort of felt the same way, but not because of that. <laughs> I just I hated the Horcruxes. I fucking hated the Horcrux thing so much, even at the time. Um, that that sort of overshadowed the the like whether or not it was uh uh, uh in keeping with the characters that Snape would kill Dumbledore or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. but it was, it was fun and kind of surreal seeing it become such a pop culture phenom. If I, I actually like, I, I'd be curious if, if anyone listening has like their own weird stories about, about like the specifically this twist and like their experience with it and like living through all like the memes and like, I God, I searched just Snape killed Dumbledore on like image searched it on Google (laughs) <laughs> and it is such a like bizarre throwback to a time when like meme meant just putting black and white impact font over a picture. Yeah, um, yeah, it did. There are so many ancient memes that I recognize. Like it, it, it is, it is, it is surreal. Like it, it is so weird seeing that. So if anyone has has like uh, 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 any any like special relation or like favorite shitty old images that they remember, uh, uh, let us know because because that stuff is super fun. You mentioned something uh, about the leak, which mm-hmm. I would now kind of like to shift into talking about, which is something that I I think is is like bore mentioning in our main discussion, but I think maybe deserves its own sidebar here in the third segment because it's so bizarre. Sure. Which is that the um. The first version, the U.S. version of uh, Half-Blood Prince 
has a completely different line from Dumbledore to Draco when he is trying to convince him not to not to blast him. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of a juicy story behind it. Yeah, there is. So um this is from the Harry Potter lexicon, which we've we've mentioned a few times before, but it is like fan site slash wiki for like serious book nerds. Um it's not like the Harry Potter wiki that we usually cite, which is like a conglomerate of like every piece of unrelated Harry Potter media that exists <laughs> kind of thrown together. <laughs> this is very studious, like only from the books, only from JK Rowling. This is the the real shit um stuff. Sort of like how there's like the the two wikis for Game of Thrones, one which is just the books and one which is just the show. Uh but this is written by Steve Vander Ark from the Lexicon. And it sort of delves into this very bizarre story. Way back in the late 90s, the Harry Potter books came out in Britain first, long before the US editions. In fact, it took a whole year for Philosopher's Stone to be transfigured into Sorcerer's Stone. During that year, the the editors at Scholastic changed a lot more than the title. They replaced a lot of British terms, which they assumed would confuse American readers. In some cases, I guess they were probably right. Many Americans would have no idea what a bobble hat or a packet of crisps was, and in the U.S., a jumper is a kind of dress, not a sweater. Okay, that makes sense. There are quite a few of these, actually. Cooker instead of stove, rounders instead of baseball, nobbled instead of clobbered, and revision (laughs) instead of studying. Older American readers find these differences fascinating. However, I can understand that younger readers would find them confusing. Other changes are just different. I don't know, fascinating is the ah, word I would use. Fascinating. Oh, mm. revision and not studying? That's Rounders fascinating. Rounders instead of baseball do go on. <laughs> other changes are just differences of phraseology or other minor variations. Again, I understand that young readers find these a bit confusing, but in most cases, I prefer the British turn of the phrase. I don't find them particularly challenging, and I don't think a decent third grade reader would either. If they were given a heads up before they started, they might have to switch their brains on. You got to turn your brains on to read Harry Potter. Oh, yeah. It's not that hard to work out that disused is more or less synonymous with unused. Sweet boxes means candy boxes, and a changing room would be the same as a locker room. As the years went by and the books became staggeringly popular, the editing process changed. No longer did the British versions come first. Now the editors worked together simultaneously creating the two English language versions. The editing teams at Bloomsbury and at Scholastic, along with Rowling, worked through the manuscript and agreed on all the changes made. Many more British phrases and terms were left intact, much to the delight of American fans. Uh, Was that... Were people going like, oh, fuck, finally. Finally, they're saying color with a U instead of O-R. I cannot say, having read through these, that I've noticed that at all. (laughs) Have you noticed that? Not really, no. I mean, I guess, granted, I am, like... My my fa- whole family is British, so maybe I'm just more. I'm, they're not like sticking out to me as weird, but I I'm not really noticing them. Like, oh, what does that mean? Or that's very British. <laughs> the changes now focused on minor differences in word use, such as brimful of confidence becoming brimming with confidence. Uh, in each case, regardless of the books or the editing process, the substance of the book remained the same. There might be an extra tidbit of information in one version or the other, such as the U.S. editions mention of Dean Thomas as being a black boy even taller than Ron, but that was it. The editions were essentially identical, except for one bit in book six. 
Rowling's original vision of the scene atop the astronomy tower between Draco and Dumbledore was written a little differently. In the original version, Dumbledore promises Draco that the Order will not only protect him, but will also hide his mother and make it look like the Order had killed her. Here's how the original text read. He cannot kill you if you are already dead. Come over to the right side, Draco, and we can hide you more completely than you can possibly imagine. What is more, I can send members of the Order to your mother tonight to hide her likewise. Nobody would be surprised that you had died in your attempt to kill me. Forgive me, but Lord Voldemort probably expects it. Nor would the Death Eaters be, for, be surprised that we had captured and killed your mother. It is what they would do themselves, after all. Your father is safe at the moment in Azkaban. When the time comes, we can protect him, too. Come over to the right side, Draco. You are not a killer. Bonkers quote, I think. Uh, not necessarily. I mean, their whole conversation is bonkers. Like, <laughs> right. And, and also, I, I gotta say, like, I, I don't think it's really the content that's that crazy. It's just the fact that it's like word salad. Like, like it's it, it's not a very. You, you mentioned earlier that that uh, uh, you know, this this book works overtime to make sure Dumbledore escapes with his dignity intact. Here, mm-hmm. this is not very cool guy dignified. <laughs> um, no. The editors and Rowling together agreed that Dumbledore was too honorable to have said this, and that the reputation of the Order of the Phoenix was such that no one would actually believe that they had executed someone to further their cause. <sighs> now, this one I really want to talk about, because this just goes back to what we were saying earlier. What is it that the Order of the Phoenix does do? What is their reputation? We don't... I thought they were secret. What is... What... Yeah. <laughs> We've never, I don't think we've ever heard a single Death Eater mention the Order. Not not to say, like, oh, they're so scary. Or B, to say, damn, those guys are wusses. They would never use the gun spell. So we could just do whatever, right? Like, they, they have no reputation as far as we know. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if we have heard a Death Eater or any other character ha- reflect or <laughs> observe anything about the Order of the Phoenix. We've seen the photo of the old Order of the Phoenix, but like that is about it. We don't know, we don't know anything about their reputation. Not, not one. Which is actually really interesting because obviously there was a first war. And, and I know we kind of joked about this being like, how were there zombies running around in the first <laughs> war and now like no impact mm-hmm. or. Or like nobody talks about that. There's no like generational trauma right. about the first war and the like horrible undead that were running around killing people. Exactly, yeah. But there is also no like mythologizing of the first like order of the phoenix. Like we we have that photo which is mythologized to us the reader as being like, oh, these are like the the Harry Potter of the before times, right? But in the wider world, it is not as if they have a reputation that we know yeah, of. Yeah, and there's not even there's not even a sense of like, oh, there's like a um, there's like a truth that Harry has to learn about like what the order really because the the way there's so many like tropes and stuff that like this this story touches on that like are the most basic thing in the world, but would still like improve the story tenfold. And I think Mm -hmm. one of the biggest ones would be if Harry had heard about the order of the Phoenix pre the book order of the Phoenix and had just, you know, heard whispers of like, Oh yeah. The order of the Phoenix were sort of like the, um, the most hardcore of the anti Voldemort guys. And they went a little too far or something, right? Like, like heard something that makes them sound 
mysterious or like tricks you into thinking like, oh, maybe they're secret bad guys or whatever. And then finding out that actually Dumbledore runs them and they're the like elite uh, 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 Death Eater fighter guys or something. Oh, and Harry's dad was in the right. Order of the exactly. Like, I, I have some sort of like preconceived notion that is challenged <laughs> by a story, right? Yeah, a little bit of a tangent, but I didn't think about that because it does it does give you that photo of those people, but there's no sense that they impacted the world that Harry lives in. Right, I and mean, they all died for one thing. So it kind of seems like they didn't, maybe they didn't. Uh... Maybe they really sucked it yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, Harry had to draw all of the aggro as a baby. That's messed up. It's fucking crazy. I like to kill kids, Dumbledore. <laughs> uh, so everyone decided that the section would be edited to remove the reference to make it look like the Order had killed Narcissa. This sentence would be removed, nor would the Death Eaters be surprised that we had captured and killed your mother. It is what they would do themselves after all except the editors at Scholastic forgot to take it out. Um, after this book came out, it didn't take fans long to notice that there was a very big difference in the two scenes. Emails flash back and forth between friends on either side of the Atlantic. I was in Britain shortly after book six came out, and I remember being asked repeatedly about it. Was there really a missing sentence in the UK edition that cast a whole new light on the characters of Dumbledore and the Order? How did this happen? Which version is correct? Repeated emails to Scholastic and Bloomsbury were, went unanswered for months. Finally, after some time and plenty of fan discussion, Scholastic admitted that they had screwed up and that they had failed to remove a sentence which should have been edited out. Fans said, oh, that explains it, and went on to discussing other things. But apparently, this mistake was taken a lot more seriously behind the scenes than we fans realized. I learned firsthand just how touchy the editors at Scholastic were <laughs> on this subject when I made an offhand comment to them about it during the Lumos convention in Las Vegas. They were, shall we say, not amused. Clearly, I had touched a nerve. I can still remember the icy response I got to my good-natured comment. I guess it's a good thing none of them knew how to cast a Cruciatus curse. These... <laughs> <laughs> These were the same editors who had sent me a nice note right after the book came out, thanking me for the lexicon's help during the editing process. Oh, well. I love that. So this is much less, uh, this is more dishy than, than the rest of this article, but I love this paragraph so much just because I don't believe the picture painted here for a second. How do you make an offhand comment about screwing up po uh, uh, editing the Harry Potter books? Oh, so you fucked up the biggest um, like book release of all time, huh? Uh, oh, how, oh, how are you feeling about that? <laughs> Just hey, hey, uh, I heard that you screwed up big time, and J.K. Rowling got pissed off. How how was that? What was that? You like really for messed you? up. Probably like the biggest project of your entire career, the biggest book that will um, probably ever be in our lifetimes. Uh, <laughs> how, how are you doing with that? Bet you felt stupid then, huh? <laughs> oh, well, I guess I'll just delete this nice note you sent me just because I reminded you of fucking up so bad. I'm dying to know what um, what this author means by the editors getting help from them in the past. And I tried to yes. look on their website. Um and can't find it because the website was made in, you know, 2004 and it's impossible <laughs> to navigate. <laughs> yeah, there's there's some weird stuff surrounding the release of this book that I would I, I really want to know <laughs> the what what on earth the fan site could help Scholastic with. 
is crazy to me. Like, you know, not, not, not to like flip this around. Cause I, I, I'm, I think I'm mostly on the scholastic guy's side here and they fuck off. Don't, don't, don't make fun of me for fucking up this book thing. Um, but on the other hand, isn't it Scholastic's job to like know everything about the book that they're, isn't that the editor's job? Like you're supposed to not need to recruit fan sites to, to help you. Like, I mean, it's a children's novel. I'm not, I'm not really sure. Yeah. And, like, what you... This is such a, this is such a nothing mistake in any other book, yeah. right? Like this would not even make it on the map. Right. If this were not Harry Potter. Right. It happens all the time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Books. There, there are so many changes between editions of books and, and like errors and stuff. It is usually not a big deal. But because this is like such an event novel. Right. It, it just blew up into something crazy, which is where this article really goes off the rails at the end here. The real question still remains, which version is correct? Rowling did originally write the sentence, which ultimately was to be removed. So it's canon, right? This, I I am irrationally um, <laughs> upset about this line um, because here's I have a newsflash, and it's that J.K. Rowling has probably written a lot of sentences and deleted that were them. not that were not included in the final draft. <laughs> um, and and when talking about canon in this way, it becomes just utterly meaningless. Yeah, it is this idea that, like, there's no take backsies once the author, like, writes something and then decides to, to remove it in editing is honestly maybe one of the most, like, mm, I don't want to speak ill of a guy considering he only died, like, a month ago or whatever, but this is was my always my beef with Christopher Tolkien um mm. whose like career was made out of like digging up J.R.R. Tolkien's old notes and like duct taping them together into new books and it's like well I'm fascinated to read those things but they are not finished like they were not published they were not complete like he didn't J.R.R. Tolkien didn't like ever finish those things and to then just say, like, well, this is part of the lore now really doesn't sit well with me. Because I was like, well, he doesn't... Just because he wrote it doesn't mean that it's, like, gospel, right? Like, it's... Authors no, because this isn't, this isn't Word of God stuff, yeah. right? Like, Harry Potter was not divinely inspired. Despite um, what a lot of people God, think. If when God was writing the Bible... Um, he like deleted some lines. Maybe there's like a spiritual discussion to be had there because it's like, well, God said it, so it's still the word of God, but it didn't make it in the final draft. Is it real? Um, but I'll leave that to like theologians, I guess, um, that are interested in like the nature of God. But Jake, but if this is a novel, yeah, if it's removed, it's removed. It's not part of the story. This is like like. I, I get the the appeal of, like, there are definitely movies I have seen where I think a deleted scene should not have been deleted, but I can't rely, like, if a sequel comes out, I can't rely on those deleted scenes mattering, right? Because they were cut out of the movie. I can like them. And I think I like, you know, as, as nonsense as this is as a, as a, like, piece of dialogue, I at least appreciate the suggestion that the order of the phoenix does something right um but it's not in the book it, she wanted it removed it's not part of the story there's no use fretting over whether or not it's canon um it, it, it's also like 
I'm actually very disappointed about the explanation. We were kind of digging into this uh, when we first found the discrepancy. Yeah. Um, because someone pointed out on the subreddit about how, and they just they just cited the discrepancy and said, this is what's in the U.S. version. And we looked at ours and we're like, no, it's not. Um, <clears throat> and saw that it was cut out. And there was someone on the subreddit that I think had a really interesting speculation about it being removed. Yeah. Um, as seeming too much like a clue that Dumbledore faked his own death. Right. Like it, it was. And, yeah. Like it's too reveal. Like it's too, it, it is pointing you in the wrong direction. Dumbledore is definitely dead, but to have Dumbledore say out loud, we can fake someone's death. We can fake your death is too like people will just think that he is actually alive. Yeah. It, it could lessen the impact of his death. If right before he died, he just said, Hey, <clears throat> Um, I have the power to make people disappear and make it look like they died. Like, like, just, like, even if, even if the intent was for him to die. Right. And I thought that was really interesting. And I also love to see, um, fans on the subreddit talk about Harry Potter like it's a fictional book. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. The few times like, they oh, do that. I thank God. They're, like, actually kind of talking a little bit about what goes into writing a novel and why you might include or include or not include a line because it is distracting from the intention of what you're trying to get right. across. Right. So, so to find out that the real reason is because, oh, Dumbledore wouldn't say that because he's too honorable. Right. <laughs> Is such a bummer to me because that doesn't seem true um, to me. Although that's, I mean, that's not my discretion. Take it out. If I mean, it also is like a completely extraneous line because Dumbledore says the same thing in fewer words. He tells Draco, "We'll protect you," but he doesn't tell what the plan would have been if yeah. Draco took him up on it. Yeah, he just says like, "Oh, we can make you disappear" or whatever. Um, I like, but that's my- what I would want to tell to someone that's like, "Is that canon? Is it not?" And it's like. Well, J.K. Rowling probably wrote a lot of lines that were cut out because they were extraneous or they, mm-hmm. like, didn't fit or, like, oh, that seems a little out of character. Like, that that stuff, it's all a process. Yeah, I mean, like, for, for as much as I ragged on th- this chapter, <clears throat> she probably wrote and deleted a lot of stuff, right? Like, like, she didn't just, like, barf this up in one evening. Like, writing a novel is a long process of, of writing stuff and deleting stuff and moving stuff. Like it is, it is never, it is not a final product until someone else buys it and reads it. Right. Right. Uh, and like it is, it is a living document up until the very last minute. Um, so that's that, that I just found very, very, very funny. Uh, however, fans tend to consider the British versions to be more correct, and that version doesn't include the sentence. Also, Rowling did agree to the change. Then again, she agreed to change the title of the first book to Sorcerer's Stone, a change which no true fan accepts as canon. So what do you this think? This is some shocking editorializing from this author. <laughs> no I true- don't know who the, I don't know who they're even talking about. If you say Sorcerer's Stone... You are not a fan of Harry Potter. So what do you think? Did Dumbledore suggest that Death Eaters would assume the Order would kill Narcissa or not? There's no more correct version. Yeah, it's just the version. It's the one that exists. Because there's there's no way to be correct. It is a novel. (laughs) It's fiction. God, this just kills me. It's fiction. It's not real. It it didn't happen. Uh, That being said, this was the version that leaked, I think. Um, which leads me mm. to the last thing I wanted to talk about here, which was the 
uh, the crazy controversy about the copies that got sold early. Oh, yeah. So I guess in Canada, I think that this might have been the, like, I think that this probably was where the, the like, the revelation that Snape killed Dumbledore, like, came from early. Uh, in early July 2005, a real Canadian superstore in British Columbia accidentally sold 14 copies of Half-Blood Prince before the authorized release date. I really want to know how you accidentally sell a copy of... Have you seen the boxes that Harry Potter books came in? Like after I have a co- I have one of those boxes. Oh, you do? Oh, they're so uh-huh. good. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, no, they, they have like the title and it says do not open before such and such date. Yeah. Um you know, not that I'm saying that the, the bookstore should get in trouble here, but I'm 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 doing a big nod and mm-hmm at accidentally sold. Oops. Um Accidentally sold 14 copies of The Half-Blood Prince before the authorized release date. The Canadian publisher, Raincoast Books, obtained an injunction from the Supreme Court of British Columbia that actually prohibited the purchasers from reading the books before the the official release date or discussing the contents. Uh, Purchasers were actually offered Harry Potter t-shirts and autographed copies of the book if they returned their copies before 16th of July. So funny. It's crazy. I don't don't think there's been anything like this since not a book anyway yeah all i can think of is Endgame. yeah like avengers leaked early i guess because like whenever this kind of stuff happens now it's like oh a saudi prince paid for a private screening and then like instagrammed it or whatever right <laughs> like like that's how this kind of thing happens now the last thing i can think of that comes close to this and it's honestly pretty much just as buck wild in terms of the company response but um was it Pokemon X and Y that got sold early and like Nintendo just went fucking ham and like, I don't remember that. I feel like that happened with the Pokemon game. Either one of the 3DS ones or maybe earlier, maybe the DS ones, but like, like, uh, uh, Nintendo just like went completely nuclear on, on a, on a like mom and pop game store for selling the game early. And like, (laughs) tried to get the copies back from people um which is just crazy to me like if you have if you have it you have it right like it's you know you you, you could try your best to like stop the, these things getting out early but like how many copies of harry potter and half Blood prince do you think were they shipping out on day one like millions and millions someone mm-hmm. was gonna open a box like it, it happens crazy crazy stuff well i'm i'm so glad i'm i'm glad we're here it is um i've said this multiple times but i i feel like it's it's even truer now than it has been before i i feel like i am in completely uncharted territory now just because not less so in that i don't know what's coming next but like we're over i think one of the last major like just like humps in this story um this like 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 dumbledore dying is such a big deal every it, it is such a big deal in the fandom it's such a big deal to jk rowling and like where the, the like the rest of this book or the rest of the series is going to be entirely like about the fallout of dumbledore's death which is really funny to think about but it, it just feels <laughs> like we have entered we have entered the final phase if that makes sense yeah I 
this might be a perspective issue because um, when these books were coming out, of course, like, I, 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 what year did Deathly Hallows come out? Oh, seven, I think. Like the year after? Uh, so I think I think Half Blood Prince was 05. I was wrong earlier when I said 06. It's 05 oh, for okay. Half Blood Prince and 07 for for Deathly Hallows. I I definitely had some other stuff going on in my life in 07. So I could just be completely wrong about this. But Half Blood Prince and the Snape kills Dumbledore thing felt to me like the twilight of mainstream Harry Potter mania. For some reason, the footprint of Deathly Hallows seems kind of non-existent to me outside of the fandom. Yeah, I think that's that'll be interesting. I think I, I think I agree. Like, I can't think of a single like you know capital M moment in the story that has anywhere close to the same sort of significance to like the wider pop culture than Snape killed Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously I, I, everyone has the Deathly Hallows sticker. I don't know. Why. Right. That's true. <laughs> I don't yeah, know what, I don't know what timeline people pulled that out as like a pop culture symbol. Cause I frankly don't remember what it means, what it stands for, what it's about. Oh, um, we'll find out. In oh, the I know. Oh, it's, I know. Uh, we, 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 we sure find out why that's a weird tattoo to get maybe. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's nowhere close. I was thinking about this the other day because we just passed the one year mark from the end of the Game of Thrones TV show. <laughs> that shot is still not being taught in film schools. Um, <sighs> but um, it, it's really wild to think about how that, that series just fizzled completely. And I don't think Harry Potter obviously is anywhere near that level of like disappointing ending. Mm-hmm. Um, cause Harry Potter has obviously endured for like 20 years at this point. Uh, um, but I, I, I do know that if there is one thing I can pick out of like book seven, that I remember that I also still see people talk about, it's not liking the epilogue. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that not liking the epilogue is the Snape killed Dumbledore of Deathly Hallows. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You are totally right about that. That is the one thing I can think of. And so it would be really interesting to read um, Deathly Hallows again and go and, and kind of comb through and go like, what was intended to be the like, you know, what what was the water cooler moment that was intended in this book? Um, yeah, because because now it is I named you after the bravest two men I ever knew, <laughs> Albus Severus Potter. Everyone, even fans hate that, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, um. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Like I said, I, I don't want to be dramatic. It's nowhere near as much of a, like a flaming out as the Game of Thrones TV show was. But like, I do think that even for people who, who love the series to death, I think six is like the pinnacle. Um, and we have like reached like the emotional crest for a lot of fans, which is, uh, I don't know. It's interesting to be past that. I did not enjoy that this book did not have a plot. And I'm talking about it like we finished it. We have, <laughs> according to my my Kindle, 43 pages left because, of course, we need to um, uh, un- unravel the mystery of Harry thinking the book is his dad and Snape saying, no, the book is me. Mm-hmm. And then tearjerker funeral scene. Um, and also breaking up with Ginny for uh, noble reasons. That's right. 
Um, so we got a lot to go, but I, but you know, keep, keep going. I think, this, I think this is a good, I think this is a good, this is a good place for us. We are, we have emotionally finished this book, I think. Oh yeah. Snape killed Dumbledore. <laughs> We're, I mean, I'm so over it. And I just, I, I think that the plot of this book is a shambles. I don't even think, I, I think that people maybe try to hold on to this book because it has a lot of good individual moments and things. Um, but coming to the climax of it, I'm like, this one, it didn't even pretend to have a plot in it. Right. I, I think this is, I'm actually torn a little bit and I can't decide whether I think that Order of the Phoenix or this book is more self-indulgent. And I'm leaning towards this one at this point. Even though it's shorter, I think that it is like the Horcrux chapter stuff, all the pensive fucking around, this like, uh, uh, the thing I mentioned about how it feels like it is just, everything is railroaded to get to this like dramatic Dumbledore death. Um, I think that it is maybe the most just self-indulgent one of these books that we've read so far. Yeah, it it is a kind of bizarre effect to be so self-indulgent, but also feeling like she really phoned it in and lost interest in the writing of the books at all. Yeah, it's a a strange combo of like, it is self-indulgent in some very specific things. It is (laughs) self-indulgent in uh, being more adult, I think, I guess, is if, like, I had to, like, boil it down into one thing, it, it, it's almost like a, um, like a, like a, uh, uh, like swinging for the fences specifically on, like, I, I want to be taken seriously. I want this to be a serious adult novel now. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the more childish, quote unquote, elements of Harry Potter, I think are things that actually made Harry Potter really good. <laughs> like, the humor, the sort of lackadaisical approach to the the magic system, um, uh, the flatter characters. I think those things were strengths of Harry Potter that have been cast aside to make it into a very serious political slash crime thriller. So it's self-indulgent yeah. in that sense, but not not in, in some ways that it has been previously. Yeah, it feels a little bit like I'm just wanting to extend our our chapter discussion here, but thinking about like Fenrir Greyback and and him being a criminal minds villain all of a sudden, mm-hmm. he could be a character in what I'm going to call whimsical Harry Potter. Um, yeah. And the content could actually just straight up be the same. You can have an evil guy who eats kids in kids books, right? Yeah. You can have the like Hansel and Gretel witch that like puts kids into a cauldron and eats them and is evil and not have it be a uh, blood and guts and veins in my teeth criminal minds villain. Right. But she just, I mean, it just, it feels like, I mean, I can't say... I can't say definitively, oh, she lost interest, but that does, that is what it feels like. Yeah, yeah, I I, I think, like, if I had to, you know, granted, you've got some chapters to go, who knows if it pulls out of the tailspin here, I doubt it. But I think it is a very keen observation that not much of the actual content would have to change to keep this in line with like the tone of previous Harry Potter books. Right. Um, because like, like Harry Potter, th- the third Harry Potter book um, opens with the assumption that a main character is a mass murderer who blew people up 
right? Mm-hmm. Like, those things have balanced well with the other pieces of Harry Potter really well in the past. Um, and I And I think that the mistake here is um you know one one of the things that people always like to say about uh media that they watched as a kid or you know me- media that they engaged with as a kid that was ongoing was that oh i really felt like it grew up with me right mm-hmm. but really what that usually means is not that the media changed it's that when, as you got older you started to recognize themes characters mm. and facts yep that's right and the 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 fatal mistake i think of the harry potter books is that it's it is not that uh all of those darker themes were always there just under the surface or under a layer of like um you know child appropriate dark humor or something it's that though that artifice was actually stripped away and all the humor was removed and all of the like the cheekiness and like the the subtle hints at something darker or gorier or sexier or whatever just became textual right mm-hmm. and it and like that is uh I, I i don't think that that means the story is more mature i think that that if anything i think that that signals a like lack of faith in the in the audience right um yeah i mean i guess like if if we had had this character in 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 whimsical you know children's book appropriate harry potter that is fenrir break grayback like it, he fits so well right he is a he is a werewolf that has decided that he wants to be a werewolf all the time and is going around and eating kids right like i, yeah. I mean he's just like a, a villainous guy and like that's messed up and then you know you could run with that you get older and you make a post on maybe the harry potter subreddit and go like hey anyone consider that that's real effed up uh-huh. it's like yeah it is um <laughs> so it, it is it is funny because it's just really is just like a genre shift but it, it it's not fun anymore yeah it, there's and like there's so many like you can you can make a character that's that fucked up and still have it be kind of whimsical like like that is such a classic like dark fairy tale thing like how many fairy like of the Grimm's fairy tales or whatever end with a kid getting eaten to teach the listener a lesson, yeah. right? And then like, Greyback gobbled them up, right? Yeah, like it's it's you can do that. You can still work in these really quite grim themes. Not to put you know, not to, pun not intended, but like <laughs> you you can still do that and maintain the the same tone throughout. It doesn't need to become a crime procedural to to get there and i and i think that that is just you know in the experience of reading these last few few chapters we've been been working on and 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 reading this book it, it is just i'm i don't feel like oh this book has grown up as we've read them i just feel like oh this book has just gotten meaner for no reason um if 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 that makes sense Meaner for no reason, and the mystery got taken away. So it's just this like sequences. I feel like I'm I'm watching, um, having never watched an episode of Criminal Minds. I feel like I'm sitting down and watching like a compilation of the most messed up scenes from <laughs> Criminal Minds. I don't know who any of the characters are. I don't know what the mystery is. I don't know what the plot is. But m- m- 
that's messed up what that guy did. Top 10 fucked up kills. <laughs> Number one, Finn, your grayback, likes to eat kids. <laughs> yeah. 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 What a. Killer Grindelwald? Killed a baby. <laughs> why is that the only thing? Why is that always the thing in this series? It's it's very funny because it makes sense when the when the protagonists are kids because like of course the villains have to kill kids. But yeah. As soon as they grew up, it's like oh they're still just killing kids. Fucking killing kids, <laughs> sickos. Yeah, I. Uh... I I could go on like this forever, but we should probably bring this to a close. I mean, I could record a whole nother episode about this chapter, honestly, but but we should probably Yeah, take it, probably take it to the close. What do you say? Yeah, yeah. Alright, our theme song is Hot McGonagall by Cheshire Moon. Huge thanks to them as always for letting us use that as our theme song. You can check them out at Bandcamp, but you can check us out at patreon.com slash streetcast. We have lots and lots of fun bonus content there for you hey if you like werewolves and sickos we've been talking a lot about the witcher 3 recently on our podcast uh liz has been playing through that it's been a great time go and check that out toss us a few bucks and liz what are we reading next week weirdly this book has more chapters in it i know um, i know <laughs> so we're reading chapter 28 and it's called flight of the prince and it has a picture of snape um sporting a handsome goatee um with what looks like fire in the background all right i'm looking forward to that but uh before we leave let's get a little word of wisdom from emerson sparts oh i could really use one right now many people sort by new the best learners sort by best of all time new equals usually low signal sort by new only once you've mastered the best of all time um I sort by controversial. Thank you very much. <laughs> controversial all time top. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you, Emerson. But please read another book. Please read another book. Makes ocean rolls seem tame. But I know what you're after if you catch a eye. Because this hot mama is just a cat in disguise.